Let's do it. All right, this is the last shot that we got. All right? We're going to run the picket fence at him. Merle, you're the swing man. Jimmy, you're solo right. All right, Merle should be open swinging around the end of that fence. Now, boys, don't get caught watching the paint dry. And welcome to the Picket Fence Podcast. My name is Derek Early. And I'm Cam Smith. We're the host of the brand new Picket Fence Podcast, a basketball podcast with an Indiana focus. Each week, the goal will be to bring you guys some discussions on current affairs in the basketball world, both high school, all high school, college, and beyond. Also, each week, we will discuss and break down a topic related to basketball in the state of Indiana or expand to another hoops-related discussion. And this week, we will give you guys a recap of the Indiana High School State Tournament, which just wrapped up, the NCAA Tournament, which is moving into the Final Four, and then we will discuss our list of top ten players in Indiana high school basketball history. Both Cam and I will present our top ten list, and then we will draft our own all-time Indiana high school basketball team. We will post our teams to our social media pages, and you can vote on which team you like best. Check out at picketfence underscore pod on Twitter and the Picket Fence Podcast on Instagram for weekly updates on the podcast and to vote this week on the all-time Indiana high school basketball draft. Look for the Picket Fence Podcast on YouTube. Like and subscribe to check out our upcoming videos and updates. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll take a look at the NCAA Tournament, Indiana High School Basketball State Tournament, and then get into our top ten lists. Welcome back to the Picket Fence Podcast. Uh, to start today, we're going to recap the Indiana High School Basketball State Tournament. Uh, first of all, we want to congratulate um, all four winners, uh, Lutheran in Class A, uh, Fort Wayne Blackhawk Christian, uh, Northwood, and Ben Davis, all four state champions. Uh, it was a really, really interesting uh, tournament weekend. Yeah, it was. And uh, looking at the, the 1A game in particular, Lutheran um, out of Indianapolis really kind of ran away with the game. Uh, started out a little bit sloppy in the first quarter, the first couple of minutes. But, again, you think of the state title atmosphere, the jitters and everything like that, shooting in, a, in an arena versus a Indiana high school gym. Uh, I know our girls' team when they were there in 2020, um, they said this, they said something similar along the lines of you know shooting in that in that gym with that backdrop, you know with everybody being so far away from the court, makes everything look so much different. So usually the first couple of minutes of state title games uh, certainly aren't the prettiest basketball of the season. I would agree, and I also think being the first game, being the morning game, I think has to have an effect. I mean, you're used to playing at 7 o'clock or yeah. even some of the afternoon games in the tournament. Uh, I think the morning game definitely has an effect. But Lutheran running away with it, 97-66 over Southwood, and they had uh, a record-breaking performance. Um, as we look back at it, th- their 97 points is a new multi-class title game record. Um, it was previously held by North Central, scoring 95 points in 2010, and then I, I believe it was – a single class record as well above all schools uh, when it was single class back in the 90s and before. Yeah, it says the uh, 97 matches a single class record total that was put up by Oscar Robertson's Christmas Attics team in 1955. Uh, That's an impressive offensive output uh, to come in there and put up 97, set records in multi-class and single class. Um, I think some of the maybe, I I know some of the bigger games got a lot of the attention, but I think that one's kind of a highlight of of all four games for me to set records like that. Yeah, and and, you know, you at least get to take away, even though it's, you don't want to take away any credit away from the the 1A game at all because those kids certainly have earned and deserve the right to be there. And when you can put yourself in a conversation with someone like an Oscar Robertson and that that Christmas Addicts team 
um, you've done something right with your season for sure. Yeah, you know, it's again being a morning game. Sometimes I feel like the the smaller schools get overlooked, but to put up ninety seven and have a record of single class and multi class, and to have a higher the high scoring output of the game with some with some big names uh, in some of the later games is is pretty impressive. Congratulations to them. Yeah, absolutely. Congratulations, big time, Indianapolis Luther. Uh, when you look at the two way game, we had Fort Wayne Blackhawk Christian over Linton Stockton. This is some interesting storylines in this game, uh, being Matt Roth's first year at uh, Fort Wayne Blackhawk Christian. Uh, really. Uh, Close game. It's, it was a battle in that one. Um, I really enjoyed actually watching, As and congratulations to Fort Wayne Blackhawk. Um, Linton Stockton going through some of the issues they've had off the court, um, but to see them bounce back in that way and, and play that hard, uh, I really enjoyed a lot of that. And I actually, if when we get into it a little more, I really enjoy Linton Stockton's 1-3-1, one, one, one of my interesting defensive tactics that, I, that I've seen in a state tournament game. Yeah, and they've got, they've got length at the right positions. Um, they have athletes at the right positions. They've got a couple of, of Division One level athletes, <clears throat> and ran into just the Blackhawk Christian squad, which has kind of been a buzzsaw in the the two A world. You know, previously being one A, moving up into two A, um, you're probably going to look at them flirting with going to three A with the yeah. success factor Absolutely. at the tournament level. Um, this is their third state title in five years. Uh, I know the last couple were with uh, the first kid who's now at Purdue yeah um, they've had a really good run and certainly have a, a loaded amount of talent at the two-way level up there in Fort Wayne yeah it was it was quite an interesting game to see that and just having um, both of those teams and I know being around here Linton Stockton um, beating Brownstown Central uh, in in the uh, semi-state game that was a loaded Brownstown team uh, having the experience there uh, against them uh, Linton Stockton, I thought, had a really good shot to go in there and, and take them down. But Fort Wayne Blackhawks kind of just become a dynasty right now in, in uh, 1A and 2A basketball. Uh, one, one of the things I thought interesting about Linton Stockton was watching them uh, to get into tactics a little bit. But uh, they ran a 1-3-1 defense that is as interesting. And they did it early in the year, and, and it, it gave Brownstown trouble. And I think and it really gave Fort Wayne Blackhawk even when they came out with a win. Uh, their 1-3-1 was really interesting to me with they didn't really trap, and they trapped the corners at times. But being able to contain a team like that, um, at those levels, whether it be semi-state and the state championship, uh, using a zone defense like that was very, very impressive. They had as good help side defense, um, weak side in the 1-3-1, one, one, um, containing them. I know earlier in the year I've seen games where they get a lot of 10-second calls running at three-quarter court. They are a really, really fun team to watch. And not, not to take away anything, obviously, from the winners there, but Linton Stockton um, and coming into this with an interim coach um, yeah. with some of the issues they've had mm-hmm. off the court is very, very impressive. To watch them bounce back after some of those off-court issues and to compete like that with Fort Wayne Blackhawk was nothing to uh, – nothing like don't, I don't want to take any credit away from them. No, a huge respect to, to Linton Stockton, too, and to the assistant coach that had to step into that role late in the year, especially in tournament time. And to have a team with the expectations that Linton had um, and sort of the, the run they've had the last couple of years with the amount of success that this senior class has had over there, a uh, lot of respect to that guy for, for the work that he was able to do, uh, you know, coming in on short notice and beating a very, very, very talented Brownstown team yes, and uh, knocking them out in, in semi-state and putting them put themselves in a position to go win a state title, uh, you know, in what was a seven point game, but it feels you know plays much closer than the seven of the final score. So, yeah, absolutely. So uh, again, congrats to Fort Wayne Blackhawk Christian, and um, well done by the Linton Stockton coaching staff um, to step up like that. Uh, looking at three A uh, Northwood um, <laughs> squeaks by Gurian Catholic in an overtime game. 
uh, Northwood 66, Green Catholic 63. Uh, talking about teams that have been frequently uh, back in the state championship games, Green Catholic has been one of the past few years that has uh, made some appearances. But Northwood with uh, a great finish. Um, I read Aaron Wolf, their head coach, and congrats uh, to you, coach. So they were fortunate to make one more play at the end of the game than they did, and uh, Green Catholic's coaches and staff, I'm sure, agree with that. Um, that was a really tight back-and-forth game. Um, to be that tight in, in, a, in a championship game, um, to go into overtime and win by three points, that, that's you know a credit to their coaching staff back and forth. Um, but uh, congrats to Northwood on that one. Yeah, and like you said, Gurren Catholic's been a kind of a perennial power in the 3A class. Uh, I think they've bounced back and forth a little bit to 4A based on success factor, based on enrollment. Um, but when they are in the 3A side of the tournament, they typically do make a run to Indy. Um, or at least they make a deep run through March. This is Northwood's first state title in basketball for boys, uh, but their girls' team actually in 2020 beat the Salem squad um, for a state title up there when we went and and watched our girls go play. So uh, their first, again, success in in the first state title in the boys' side of things, but not their first state title overall. Right. Uh, That is – it's pretty interesting. It it seems like that's a theme I'm seeing kind of around the state or some girls' and boys' teams that are – Getting there together, I don't know if that's a, that's a credit to athletic departments and, and coaching staffs as well, but um, it seems like there are some schools that are uh, making their way up their boys and girls' side. Um, Northwood, again, congrats. Um, Cade Brenner, their leading scorer, 28 points in a tight game. And 23 uh, in the first half. Yeah, that is that is a, a big number, um, and especially especially in a game that tight um, for a senior to come out and, and end his career there, that is, uh, that's something special. Yeah, that's one of those nights as a senior, especially being a player of that caliber. Do you come out and are you loose, or do you come out and are you going to play the game tight? Um, are there you know what kind of nerves are you getting into? Because you do regardless of the it's not like a sectional or regional game where you don't know if it's your last game. Like you walk into that game as a senior knowing full well this is all I've got. So the fact that you can come out and put the nerves to the side and channel that energy into that type of effort is something that's that's really special. Yeah, that's that's fantastic. Congratulations to uh, Cade Brenner there on, on a big performance, and congrats to Northwood overall. Um, getting to the uh, big game here with a, a really, really interesting finish um, in terms of uh, season success, Ben Davis versus Kokomo. This was kind of the, the, uh, the, the big game here. There was a, a lot of college coaches on hand to look at uh, some players and, and these two teams. Um, this this was a really, really interesting game just in terms of the reputation Ben Davis has now and the record they were bringing in as well as um, what Kokomo brings to the game in Floyd Bedunga. Oh, yeah, and, and Ben Davis completes the perfect season. Um, this is not something that happens frequently in Indiana high school basketball. Um, so anytime you can run the table, and I know going back to when I was in high school and played, when you were in high school and played, you didn't get to play 33 games. No. Um, you know, you played 20. If you were lucky, you got to 21 or 22 if you played in a tournament throughout the course of the season, usually over Christmas break. And, you know, now we've got multiple tournaments that happen throughout the season. And to be able to, to not only go 20-something and 0, but to go 33-0 and 0, uh, in that conference with their schedule, um, playing in that part of the state, even just to get, it, to get out of their sectional is quite an accomplishment. So to do that and to be undefeated uh, truly is, again, to go off the 3A again. That's something special. Yeah, and just – Observing. I mean, obviously, everything on paper is going to say how great they are. But just to watch uh, as a fan and, and, and with coaching experience to watch all these teams across the state, to watch Ben Davis uh, 
it's almost like they're they're a team that doesn't make mistakes. I mean, watching them, they are, and and obviously the thirty three and zero record is going to show that. But they are they are perfect just watching them, defensively, offensively. Everyone knows where they're supposed to be. They're completely in sync. Their coaching staff, just watching them on the sideline communicate with their players is uh, as fun to watch a basketball team as I think I've seen. I mean, yeah. they are they are, and again, record's going to show. But they are as um, as fun to watch as any high school team I've seen in a long, long time. Yeah, and, and looking at, at Twitter throughout the course of the night when those games are going on and then what the local writers up there in India are saying, uh, I didn't get a chance really to watch much Ben Davis film this year, but certainly sounds like they have one of the best defenses that the state has seen with their quickness at the guard level, um, their size, not only at the center position but at the forward spots and the things they're able to do with teams and basically just take over games defensively uh, is something that you don't see very often. And then to not only – do that throughout the course of the season, but to hold someone like Flory Bedinga, yeah. uh, you know, he gets 19 points, but to go out and beat the team that he's on by 12 in the state championship game really speaks volumes as to how talented they are, uh, Ben Davis. Yeah, absolutely. Um, as we were talking about their defense, and I kind of wanted to get into that, um, we were discussing before we got on here the the shooting statistics for Kokomo. And, and to not to take anything away from Kokomo because they have a fantastic season and um, there were a lot of uh, – top-notch college coaches on hand to, to see them and to see uh, Flory Bedunga play. Uh, but the the shooting numbers that Ben Davis held Kokomo to were um, impressive, uh, a pretty pretty smothering defense. I think if we look at um, their three-point percentage and free-throw shooting, it was a very, very uh, one-sided affair in, in terms of uh, – when we look at that, uh, when we talk about uh, college coaches being there to see Floyd Badunga, um, obviously a, a real talent, and he did put up some very impressive numbers. I think a 19 and a 11 rebounds. Yeah, um, very impressive. But to look at theirs, um, what 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 do we have there for Kokomo and their uh, outside shooting? Uh, three point percentage for the game. They were one of ten on the night, and then. Kind of the Achilles heel that seems to have bitten them in this game was 2 of 13 from the free throw line. Wow. Um, so you look at, even if you go 50% from the free throw line and your typical 30 to 40% from three, it's a whole different ball game if they come out and shoot it well. Yeah, that is, uh, that's really, really impressive. And to look even at Ben Davis and going back to just how efficient they are, when you look at their numbers, to be shooting in the 60% um, in the first quarter and the fourth quarter of the game, they are... They're playing a very, very efficient style of basketball. They're very efficient offensively. Um, they're not. Uh, they're you know they're dictating every possession. And then to hold a team uh, that is as good as Kokomo is with with that type of talent to those shooting numbers um, is tremendously impressive. Ben Davis is um, just as impressive a basketball team as I think that I. Yeah, see. and you look at it here. They they forced from Ben Davis's and they forced Kokomo into 15 turnovers, only committed eight of their own. Um, on the way to having 17 assists, so that's a you know that's the ratio you're looking for, uh, and then also nine steals on the night. So it tells you how not only efficient they are defensively, but also how aggressive they are defensively and able to disrupt things for the other team. Yeah, definitely, just a completely smothering defense. Um, very impressive. And when you look at just all four of these teams um, from this past weekend. Uh, Lutheran, Fort Wayne, Northwood, and Ben Davis. You just had really impressive performances, um, individuals as well as team performances um, across the board. Uh, just again, a, a congratulations to Lutheran, uh, Fort Wayne, Blackhawk, Christian, Northwood, and Ben Davis. Uh, congratulations on those state uh, championships. Uh, I, we know you'll be back to work uh, in the summer improving as well, but uh, congratulations.
Alright, that wasn't bad. Alright, Cam, well that kind of gets us through talking about the state tournament there. Um, again, huge congratulations to all four state title winners. But let's get into talking about March Madness. It's been probably the most interesting um, or maybe unpredictable, maybe a better word. Yeah. Um, certainly entertaining March Madness that I can remember in recent history, just as far as having no idea on any given night, one way or the other, who's going to win. Because you can look at, you know, you look at the bracket and you think you've got a couple of teams that are guaranteed to, you know, advance to the Elite Eight, or in some cases you think, oh, well, they're going to walk to the Final Four. And that has absolutely gone out the window. Not the case. Um, most everyone I've talked to has thrown their bracket away, burned it, <laughs> trashed it, um, has started over. And it's just been it's been a wild tournament, but I was telling a family member the other day, I said, I think this is my favorite one that I've had. I mean, obviously IU gets knocked out in the second round, which was not fun for me. Um, but as far as entertainment value – and finding new teams to root for. I've had a lot of fun watching the last couple of weekends. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think the possible exception for me would be those Butler tournament runs back-to-back um, uh, 13 and 12 years ago. Uh, those teams were really fun to watch, and I think that just individual run was really fun for Indiana basketball fans and then basketball fans across the country. But tournament as a whole, I know my bracket's in shambles. I don't fill out <laughs> you know, 10 different brackets. We had a family bracket pool. Um, I filled mine, and... I felt pretty confident early, um, and that went out the window. To see, you know, just to, to pull up a stat here, this is the first time since seating. So seating in the tournament began in 1979. This is the first time that there has not been in the Final Four a one, two, or three seed. And that's the case this season. That's the first time since they've started seating in 1979. This um, is literally unheard of. I mean, it, it's unbelievable to see some of these smaller schools or kind of middle of the road, these five seeds um, that, that often get overlooked. I think people often look to, for the upsets in the, you know, 10, 11, 12s, but to have these um, kind of middle seeds come in and, and uh, roll through the tournament has been really, really fun as a basketball fan to watch those. Yeah, you get your upsets, and, you, you know, like you said, with the, the 10 through 12, in some cases you do sneak a 13, 14, 15, and shoot this year we snuck a 16 seed yeah. into getting a victory. Um, sorry, Purdue fans. Yeah. But <laughs> – Usually, once you get through the the first day of the tournament or the first two days of the tournament, from there you can you don't necessarily you can't always go with the chalk, but usually you know those top one, two, and three seeds do separate themselves from everybody else and prove as to why they were ranked and seeded a one, two, or three. And like you said, with this being the first year since seeding started back in '79, we don't have one of those top seeds in the Final Four. This was also the first year there wasn't a one seed in the Elite Eight. Uh, I didn't know that. Wow, that's interesting. So, you know, I think that speaks volumes as to kind of where college basketball is in its current state. Uh, you look at Miami, which on paper, I guess, if you look at just the simple seed lines, you know, kind of makes a surprise run to the Final Four. You could argue that at a number five, they were underseeded. They're the regular season ACC champion. And if I think if they had Duke or Carolina across their chest versus Miami – if you win the ACC regular season, you're going to walk into a two or a three seed worst case scenario. I, um, so I, I don't necessarily think you can look at Miami and say, oh, well, this is a surprise that they're there. Um, you know, Leonard Egg has been to the Final Four before. He's he's taken multiple teams to the tournament, and Miami's got talent across the board. They may not be the biggest team on paper, but 
the way that they play, it's not a surprise to people who pay attention to basketball. Uh, I would agree with that, and I think that's sort of been what my thinking is. You know, we have these teams that have surprised, and certainly Florida Atlantic um, is a surprise team. But if you look at a team like Miami or UConn, UConn's been at the top all year. Um, they've been a team that, you know, I've kind of looked at as someone that could be surprising. I certainly didn't put it in my bracket. Right. But um, <laughs> they were, uh, you know, a team that has been at the top. You know, one of the things I looked at going into – evaluating the bracket and, and looking at the seating. Um, so Ken Pomeroy has a website, and it's kenpom.com. And so since 2002, and I'm assuming that's when they uh, started this website, but on kenpom.com, uh, Ken Pomeroy will rank uh, teams in terms of their offense efficiency, defensive efficiency. And since 2002, um, every national champion has been a top 22 rated defense, at least in that top 22, and then a top 40 rated offense. Um, UConn has been one of those teams. Um, Creighton was one of those teams as well. So these teams that are surprising uh, people are um, teams that have been around and that uh, experts that are analyzing the game are, are, you know, haven't been surprised by this. Now, Houston and Alabama were in those top as well. Um, those were kind of shocking to see them get knocked out as early as they did. Uh, but teams like Creighton and UConn are teams that have been evaluated at this top level uh, with Houston and Alabama all season, and, and they're proving that even though they are five and six, uh, they were five and six seeds, they made their run. Now Creighton not making it into the Final Four, but I, some of these teams that have surprised people, I think, are teams that have been at the level as everyone else, like you're saying, with Miami and the ACC. Yeah, and I think it speaks to parity to a large degree too across college basketball. But you know, if you're if you're in the ACC, Big Ten, if you're a Power Five conference and you're competing in the top half of those leagues consistently year in year out um, you know you're going to put yourself in a position where if you get in the tournament you can make a run and you can beat anybody in the country if you're one of those teams Uh, I I just I can't remember a time where I've had more fun watching basketball just sitting down and quite frankly having no clue what the final outcome was going to be yeah I think that's kind of been uh, my thought looking at this is after it started um, with some of the upsets we had when uh, Purdue goes down um, early when you have Princeton making a run and taking out uh, Arizona early in the uh, tournament, uh, that just kind of set the tone for uh, this being a very unexpected run for for a lot of teams. Um, I, we haven't mentioned them yet, but Florida Atlantic making their run through, uh, and you know, Purdue, yes, on their side of the bracket does get knocked out, but it, it didn't seem like they were fit to make a run after you know being upset by the 16 seed. Florida Atlantic coming out of that side with some really tough teams and making their run to the Final Four is um, as impressive as any run since I think those Butler runs back in 2010 and 2011. Yeah, I mean, they and, are and really fun. Huge credit to Dusty May down there at FAU. Uh, Eastern Green High School, Indiana kid. Um, I saw a number the other day that said his high school gym at Eastern Green seats 2,800 and the gym at FAU seats 2,900. Um, you know, so that's just, again, Indiana basketball is completely different than anywhere else. And, you know, they, they say 49 states, it's, uh, just basketball, but this is Indiana. And they say that for a reason. Uh, and to see somebody who, you know, was a manager for coach Knight, worked at IU, uh, you know, all of those guys, I think have, have put themselves in great position. You think people like Lawrence Frank, you know, who've been managers up there and worked at IU that are now in a position of, not just coaching, but, you know, front office work at the NBA level and winning executive of the year. Um, it's a testament to uh, just being able to, to work hard and I think be willing to kind of uh, do your time, bide your time, and wait for wait out your opportunity. 
and he's doing a phenomenal job. They can play basketball any way that they want, um, and you think the the two games in particular, playing Tennessee, yes. which is one of the biggest and most physical teams in the tournament. Um, if you watch the film, watch the game, you saw what they did to Duke and how they just simply outmanned, outphysical, outtoughed. Yes. Um, and then to go from playing that style of basketball to being to that level of physicality to then go into a K-State team, which wants to play a track meet, yeah. and being able to beat them at that style of basketball too, I think is very, very impressive. Yeah, I mean, you can just see he is um, – and not to take away credit from any of the other coaches in the tournament, but he is really um, – Kind of out coaching this side of the this side of the bracket. He's from Indiana, so we can hype him up. Yeah, we yeah we can hype we can hype up the the Hoosier on the uh, Pick and Fence podcast. But he really is just taking away, um, uh, just kind of running away with it here, and and he really is out coaching to to have to manage these different types of styles, which is what makes a tournament like this fun. To have these quick turnovers with these very different style of teams, to go from playing physical to playing against Kansas State, which was a really fun team to watch. In my opinion, I know they didn't make it to the Final Four, and we're discussing these final teams here, but Kansas State uh, and that style, their point guard is as fun of a guard to watch I've seen yeah. in the tournament. And to, to, to who I thought was going to make a Final Four run after watching a, a couple of their games, for Florida Atlantic to, to roll through this side of the bracket has been um, as fun to watch as any team in the past several years. Yeah, for them to, to, to have the turnaround in games in a 48-hour period of playing the style that Tennessee wants to play and then playing the style that Kansas State wants to play is just impressive. And then, uh, you know, looking across the bracket, UConn uh, – if you've watched them and watched the Big East and paid attention to them, you know, being top two team at one point throughout the course of the year, being consistently ranked, um, having nothing but just athletes and guys who run the floor, fill the lanes. They, they have shooters in the right spots. Uh, their big man can score in multiple ways. That The way they utilize him is a lot of fun to watch. And defensively, he is a problem. Uh, and he fixes a lot of issues for them on the defensive end. And – not to take anything away from them at all. I think a lot of people were looking at UCLA and Gonzaga there um, to come out of the West, and I think they've kind of almost quietly flew under the radar in that bracket and really shouldn't have at all. Yeah, and so that's kind of what I want to get into is if um, you have a, a favorite going into this Final Four, and, and mine definitely is UConn. I, I love UConn. Um, uh, I read today that they have won each game uh, in this tournament by at least um, 15 points. Um, they are they are averaging a margin of win of twenty. Um, they are rolling through the side of the bracket, um, and again, and there's some really good teams. I mean, when you talk about them going through uh, Arkansas, who was a great team, and um, going through Gonzaga, who a lot of people thought was uh, you know maybe their year to make a run again. Oh, and beat the brakes off yes. of Gonzaga. Yeah, that was. Um, we we talked about being uh, things being unexpected turning on all these games. That's probably as mo- as unexpected uh, as, as a 16 seed beating a one, which we had happen to watch Gonzaga um, just get dismantled like that um, was as unexpected as unexpected as any game this uh, in this tournament. Um, one of the things I like to note from UConn, and it's just been because I think this is the team I've enjoyed watching the most in this tournament. Um, I love their off ball movement. I know there's a lot of um, Ball screen set in the game today in the professionals as well as it's leaking into college basketball. But to have the ball movement, the screens off the ball, and the post play, there's a, a, a huge, like a lot of um, diversity within their offense. I've really enjoyed watching their their shooters come off screens, um, watch them set off ball screens and roll to the basket, um, watch them 
uh, work through the post. It's just a different style, I think, and some of the teams are kind of going away from that in sort of a, a ball heavy and uh, ball screen heavy and, and spaced out offense, which um, has you know continued to work for a lot of uh, teams and programs. But they just have the most fun offense for you to watch. Um, I love the the big man uh, Adama Sonoga, um, a post player. And what I would say is almost like their safety blanket if they're not getting into their offense. Um, or finding the shots they want, they can dump it down to him on the block, and he creates things. Um, he has been a super fun player to watch. Um, and just to have that depth with him and then their backup big man, um, they are they are a really, really fun team. And I, I think that's my favorite coming out of the Final Four. I think if I'm picking when I and I haven't done tremendously well with the bracket going into it. <laughs> no so one maybe, has. Maybe not. But uh, with this Final Four uh, that we have left, I, I think UConn is head and shoulders the favorite. What uh, What was your original Final Four? Who'd you go with out of the gate? Um, so my, yikes, uh, my final four, uh, initially was, um, Houston matched up with UCLA and then Alabama with Purdue. Okay. Um, I had three number one seeds, which we're, um, we have just talked about, uh, that not being the case in this tournament. Um, obviously Purdue going out was a huge surprise. Um, of all of them, to be honest, I was most worried about Alabama. I think they play a style that's really fun. Um, they are really run and gun. They space it out. They take a lot of outside shots. Yep. Um, what they see uh, as a pro-style kind of offense. Um, and that kind of just wasn't the case as they got uh, deeper into the tournament. Uh, shots just weren't falling. Uh, Brandon Miller, I saw, had the uh, – of having a, a sample size that applies the lowest field goal percentage of any player in the history of the NCAA tournament. Yeah. Um, that – was kind of glaring, um, you know, and maybe that's just a night where things don't fall. I don't know if it necessarily reflects on their style entirely, um, but certainly um, we're talking about teams like Florida Atlantic who are adapting their style to playing different teams. Uh, someone like UConn who's playing, uh, you know, using different skill sets within um, the offense and, and using different players and skill sets. Um, and so those teams are, you know, that are a little more adaptable are the ones making the run And Alabama was kind of um, – uh, one style all the time, and it, and it proved to not make their way through. Yeah. Uh, who else did you have? Um, so I had um, I had those four: um, Alabama, Purdue, Houston, and UCLA. Um, I'm really surprised by Houston. Um, I really thought um, that this was their year to make a run. They when we're talking about the Ken Palm ratings um, a minute ago, and they were uh, ranked in the top ten in offense and defense um, for most of the season. I was really surprised to see them go down. Um, I really thought. Uh, Really thought they had a chance to make it through, and, and they just were uh, as fun a team. I, I love uh, what Coach Sampson's doing with that program. I love watching that team defend. I thought that they were going to. I thought this was truly their year, but um, that one I think was the most surprising to me of all four teams. Okay, how about you? What do you have um, final four wise? Oh, Your initial. I'm not sitting much better than you are. Uh, so I went uh, South Region. I had Arizona coming out. That panned out really well for me. Uh, Princeton decided to ruin my bracket out early. Uh, <laughs> then I took Marquette. I went back and forth in the East region. Uh, I kind of overlooked Tennessee. I think I was probably overhyping the Duke team yep. um, just in how that they finished the year going through the ACC tournament. The fact that they had everyone healthy. And at one point, I think they were 19-1 and or 20-1 and with their entire roster healthy and available. So I was looking at that. The fact that I think John Shire was very comfortable being the head coach by the time the end of the year was getting there. Um, so I had uh, Duke playing Marquette for the right to go to the Final Four, and I picked Marquette. So Arizona playing Marquette on that side. Um, and then I went with Texas and UConn as my other two to round out the Final Four. So UConn's the only one I have left standing. 
Uh, yeah, obviously a lot better than what um, what I had there. I didn't have a single one in the final four. I had Houston over Purdue in my championship, but you still have a chance to um, at least finish a little higher there with UConn in the final four. So that's a, that was a good call on your part. <laughs> it's an interesting deal. So my fantasy football league, we use the March Madness, March Madness bracket to determine our draft order okay. for our fantasy league. And so whoever comes in first, you get to decide where you want to draft in the order. Most everybody takes first or they take 12th. We've got 12 guys in the league, so you get back-to-back picks. Right. And with UConn going to the Final Four, I went from last place to first place <laughs> in our bracket challenge. I was doing very, very poorly, and I just so happened to have one team in the Final Four, and no one else in the league had a Final Four team left. So, wow. Uh, just by simple math, with UConn winning, it put me from last to first. So that was kind of a funny – I thought I was getting messed with. I was – my buddies texting me like, hey, dude <laughs> – Way to go from last to first, and I said, there's no chance. <laughs> uh, you are messing with me, and I don't really appreciate it right now because I didn't have my phone open. I haven't, I've done so bad I haven't even thought to check yeah. my scores because I am embarrassed, and this is the worst one I've had in a long time. Um, but, yeah, somehow or another, I went from last to first place. So thanks, UConn and Coach Hurley. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, congratulations to all four of those teams. Um, I think it's really interesting. Um, final word on this, uh, who, do, who do you have coming out with it out of this Final Four? Uh, with the four, uh, UConn on paper, um, you know, they're the favorite in Vegas, the odds on favorite right now. And I think if you look at just which team on paper that you would pick, UConn has to be head and shoulders above the other, the other three. Um, my mind says whoever wins between them and Miami probably wins the national title. Uh, but I'm not going to lie. I may very well buy a Florida Atlantic shirt this week. Yeah. And I'm certainly, I'm pulling for Florida Atlantic, um, my gut tells me that UConn is probably going to be the national champion, um, but my heart as a Hoosier would love to see Dusty may at least get to the national title game. Uh, I would like to see that as well, and it's funny, it, we, I mentioned the Butler team earlier, and on, in their second um, Final Four run, Butler matched up with UConn in their uh, national championship game, so it's kind of getting a, a, a reminder of, um, about, yeah. I think, about 12 years ago when they were in that uh, in that game. So I would love to see Florida Atlantic take the whole thing. Um we're rooting for you here in Indiana, Dusty May. Uh, it would be fantastic to see you take that one home. Um, yeah, uh, I agree with you. Uh, my gut tells me UConn is is the the team that comes out with it. But uh, Florida Atlantic, we definitely um, we definitely have uh, your back here at the Pick and Fence Podcast. Yeah, and kind of a similar deal with fourteen. That UConn team in fourteen was like an eight seed that made a, a sort of under the radar quiet run that wasn't yeah. expected. And I don't think this UConn team's gotten quite the respect they deserve either. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, I know their run through the Big East tournament wasn't what people expected either uh but gosh they they've got talent and they've got athletes and they're a good basketball team they're well coached and they're disciplined like you said the off-ball movement and the way that they run their offense um, the different things they do with it it's just not the standard high ball screen pick and roll one guy dominates the basketball yeah you know i think certainly they've got to be the favorite yeah i would agree with that All right, so today on the Pick and Fence Podcast, our um, topic of discussion, and we'll be posting this on our social media as well uh, for you guys to look at, um, is our top 10 Indiana high school basketball players of all time. So uh, Derek and I uh, made our list uh, separately. We brought this. I I haven't seen his list. He hasn't seen my list. Um, And we are breaking down what our top 10 um, Indiana high school basketball players uh, of all time. And we had similar criteria, but I'm curious – uh, what what things did you look at when you broke down your top ten? So we did kind of we discussed a little bit as far as what criteria we wanted to to put in place to pick our teams. Uh, like you said, 
haven't seen each other's lists, haven't shared, haven't really discussed them. Uh, just simply what we were going to look at going into picking our, our players. So obviously career scoring leaders, uh, you know, if looking at where individual players rank on the all-time scoring list in the state of Indiana. Uh, and for me, my main thing that I wanted to look at was your success. Like, did you win? Um, so all of my guys, as far as our top, uh, my top 10, I think everybody but one um, has a state title um, or multiple state titles. Uh, McDonald's All-American. Uh, were you an Indiana All-Star? Uh, in some cases, we have guys who were Gatorade National Players of the Year, yeah. uh, <clears throat> Mr. Basketball Awards, that type of thing. So those are the criteria that I kind of went off of. And um, a few are Indiana Basketball Hall of Famers. Um, so you can you know go to that website and look up, see who's been inducted. And I used kind of just that basic criteria. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I, I looked at similar things. I obviously looked at the scoring list. I mean, that's that's pretty important when you're ranking that. I mean, we have some guys who put up some um, some really big numbers. Um, I looked at um, some season statistics. You know, what did what did they average um, mm-hmm. in certain seasons? I looked at tournament success. Um, if you won a state title or multiple state titles, um, I'm definitely um, throwing you into the mix there as well. I, I also looked at a couple different things. Um, I, I factored in a little bit of success past um, Indiana high school basketball. Um, not too much, just because this is strictly based on this. Um, uh, that affected a, a little bit of, of one or two of my guys. Um, um, one of them, uh, the success post high school, uh, <laughs> definitely kept him lower on the list. Um, but when I looked at mine as well, I also kind of factored in uh, legend a little bit, okay. sort of like the lore, like some players that you know you and I obviously didn't get to see um, back in their heyday, and and maybe some people uh, around now, um, people that did get to see them when I when I've heard um, um, stories about them, or you know people talking about watching them play. Um, you know, there's obviously not footage of, of some a lot of these things, but um, that factored in a little just because um, that that legend that they bring. If you talk about all time, you know, like we'll say like a, a barbershop style discussion, mm-hmm. you know, if, if this name comes up, he is going to be revered as one of the, the greatest players in the history of the right. state. Um, that factored in a lot for me as well. Um, you know, looking at this list, uh, we have guys that, that are going to hold that legend, um, probably forever, um, in, in terms of the, you know, Indiana high school basketball. Um, so, uh, without further ado, uh, let's, let's go ahead and break those down. And, and after we, um, after we break this down, uh, we're going to be doing a, a draft, and so we're gonna have uh, a drafting our, our starting five, and then maybe a couple guys off the bench, and then we'll uh, compare those and post those and see what we come up with uh, drafting our our squad. But uh, uh, to get started here, uh, let's start at number ten. Uh, who did you have as your tenth uh, ranked uh, Indiana basketball player? Uh, of uh, and you could argue that this guy's far too low on my list. Mm-hmm. Uh, but number ten for me was Eric Gordon, okay. out of North Central High School there in Indianapolis. Uh, what he was able to do his his junior and senior year specifically up there in that conference, given the fact that he was playing against guys like Greg Oden, Mike Conley, uh, the teams that Lawrence Central was putting out, the teams that Carmel had at that time, guys like Zach Mc- or uh, Josh McRoberts, yeah. um, excuse me. So what he was able to do as a junior and a senior up there uh, was really, really impressive. Uh, he played on national television a couple of times. Uh, his junior year, I think they played Lawrence North, on TV, um, his senior year, of course, they had a couple of nationally televised games. The big one there being against Michael Jordan's kids. Yeah. Um, there in Indy when he just had his coming out party on the national stage. Uh, did not win a state title, uh, 
Um, lost to Etwan Moore's East Chicago Central squad. Uh, they're in Indy for the state title. Uh, but put up just absolutely absurd numbers. He scored uh, 21 points in the first quarter of their semi-state game <laughs> against Bloomington South. And I remember driving up to Southport to go watch it um, because he had just gone through the whole decommitment from Illinois. Yeah. Uh, whether or not that was up to par with Kelvin Sampson's staff at Indiana. Um, so he had just kind of went through all that, and they, in theory and in thinking at the time, were just going to absolutely bulldoze people for a state title. Yeah. Because um, it wasn't just him. They had some other very high-level players on their roster, and he came out and just was a one-man wrecking show. Yeah. And there was nothing that Bloomington South could do to guard him. He was pulling up from 30 feet in transition. He was quite literally jumping over Bloomington South's guards in the paint. Um, Easily one of the most special performances I've seen in a state tournament game or high school game period. Um, And went on to finish his career with 2,178 points. So that's good enough to put him at 31st on the all-time list. Uh, Yeah, you know, looking at Eric Gordon – he is still my favorite. I know he spent one year, but still my favorite IU player that, that I've watched. And I know I don't have his – I didn't get to see some of the some of the greats in the early 90s and in the 70s and 80s. But um, uh, EJ was as fun to watch as anybody at, when he was at IU. Um, I, I, went, I attended the uh, Dick Baumgartner shooting camp when I was in high school. Um, for those who know about Dick Baumgartner, I, I think the best offensive camp in the country when, when he was doing that. And he raved about um, Eric Gordon as a shooter and actually changed a little bit of the way he taught – shooting because of uh, watching Eric Gordon. And, and so um, to get a little technical here, and I know we can't see, but he talked about, you know, you always leave that gap on your shooting hand. And, and Gordon put the ball flat on his hand to give it that extra strength. And and so uh, Dick Baumgartner kind of tweaked that, seeing how far Eric Gordon, he raved about his range, talked about being able to shoot behind a ha- half-court line like a, like it was a free throw. And so um, watching him at IU and then seeing him have the, you know, a little bit injury-ridden, but, um, a solid NBA career, um, and he's done a great job there. Um, to see guys rave about him at that time and then to watch the performances he had in high school was um, – and then to see what he did in college. Uh, he was just as fun a player to watch yeah. when I was a kid growing up as, as anybody. Yeah. On to you, boss. Uh, so number 10 I have – and this one has a little bit of the legend into it, but I, I think it's important here. Um, so number 10 I have Larry Bird um, from Springs Valley High School. Um, so and the reason I chose Larry Bird, I know he doesn't have – and, and and I and I thought hard about it. I thought is is he more of an honorable mention guy that you know we'll talk about later? Um, is he on my top list? Because in terms of a a four year career, doesn't have the same um, kind of chops as the rest of the guys uh, on our list. But the reason I put that is because he has such an astounding senior year that it gets him you know his scholarship at IU and then you know leaves and goes to Indiana State. But I think that senior year put him at a status that kind of started the the Larry legend, right? And, and so he averaged his senior year at Springs Valley, 31 points, 21 rebounds, and four assists. And I know it's you know kind of a smaller school, and and, and there are some smaller schools they'll play against. But and again, not having the four year career, but I, I included him, and I know he went on to have the the greater career after. High school, but I had to include him on my list just because that started the legend um, to put up those kind of numbers um, and to get the attraction he got, which um, almost landed him, uh, I believe, on that undefeated Indiana team. I believe he would have been uh, running with that crew mm-hmm. had he stayed. Yeah. Um, I think just uh, it was hard for me to leave him off, and I know that it was one year of sample size, but to dominate at that level and then 
to go on to what he went to. I think I had to la- I had to have him at number ten, um, strictly because that just started the legend that that was Larry Bird. Yeah. Um, we want to look at number nine. Who do you have there? Uh, I went with Deshaun Thomas out of Fort Wayne Bishop Lures. Uh, <clears throat> had the opportunity to watch him play in a couple of state title games, one of which was against Brownstown Central um, up here kind of in our neck of the woods. Yeah. And obviously playing at the 2A level, you know, went to Ohio State, uh, a, a player of not only his size at 6'7", 6'8", 6'9", you know, a kid who was probably 215 pounds or so in high school, uh, could score from all three levels. You know, he could put his back to the basket and score on the block. He was somebody that could catch it in the mid-range and pull up over top of somebody. He could put it on the floor, but also had range out to, you know, the NBA level um, as a high school kid. So he was a real problem uh, not only for the 2A competition um, when it came to state tournament time, but, uh, you know, for the state in general because they play uh, the big schools. They play a 4A schedule, generally speaking, with, between Fort Wayne and Indy. Uh, but at the two A level, there was nothing that those teams in this when it came to for the state title, uh, there was nothing that those guys could do with him. Um, and he kind of had his way through those couple of state titles that they won, uh, and might be just the smoothest scorer yeah. uh, that I've had a chance to watch. Uh, he is ranked. Where's he at here? I know he's in the. I think he's number three. Yes. Yeah, third all time Indiana high school um, career scoring list: three thousand and eighteen points. Um, that puts him just a shade under 100 away from Damon Bailey's record. And I remember, so he graduated in 2010, and I remember right after, I graduated in 2005, and after his freshman year, so somewhere around 2007, 2008-ish, there were real conversations um, about whether or not this kid from Fort Wayne was going to have a chance to to either get Bailey's record, or in some cases, how much was he going to surpass Bailey's record. Yeah. Um, he was just a, he was a legitimate scoring machine yeah he was and uh, I really enjoyed um, watching him and his uh, career after high school as well at Ohio State he had a great college career he was a super fun player to watch um, at the next level and it, and his game really translated well going yeah. to the next level um, Deshaun Thomas is is one that kind of gets lost I think maybe it just be uh, maybe a little too recent to get the the talk about how great he was as a high school player, yeah. but Deshaun was as dominant as anybody yeah I think in a, in a single class environment he probably gets a lot more yeah, agree. Um, a lot more pub just simply because he's not playing the two-way tournament schedule. Yeah. Um, but gosh, he he could play. He could fill it up like anybody, or fill it up with the best of them. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> the best way to say it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, at, my, at my number nine, I actually have uh, another another guy that early in his career there was talk of him uh, taking the all-time record. Uh, at number nine, I have Romeo Langford from New Albany. Okay. Um, this is interesting. There's there, he's kind of become polarizing in terms of fans of uh, Indiana basketball um, across the state now with um, post um, his you know career career post high school. But just watching him in high school, and I attended several of his games, and I went up and watched them win a the state title when he was a sophomore. Um, just watching him, his four years uh, was as fun to watch as any player that I've um, seen watch it at any level. Um, you know, um, my brother, my younger brother, um, came home telling me, you know, at junior high games about the kid that he had got to play against. And then there was already this kind of a roar, of 
uh, about this kid across the state as he was coming into high school about how good he could be. Um, his statistics in high school are um, pretty um, pretty astounding. Um, they won a uh, state championship his sophomore year with the they finished twenty seven and one. Um, you know he's averaging thirty points a game as a sophomore. Um, he's in the high twenties his last two seasons. Um, he's you know scoring sixty three points in a game at one point um, against Jennings County. Um, he was a McDonald's All American. Um, he was uh, you know I think the game that really put him on the map um, and was when they played uh, Lalamere High School on ESPN. Yep. And uh, I think he had 40 in that game, or high 30s. I believe he had 40 points. He was their offense in that game. Yeah. And to go against a team that had six or seven Division One players from Lalamere and then New Albany, who is Southern Indiana school, a 4A school, but to have Romeo and then, you know, very good high school talent, but that didn't quite match up to what Lalamere yep. had. Um, and they lost that game, but for him to take it to that team was an amazing performance. Yeah, that was the La Lumiere squad that had the Brian Bowen kid. Yes. That kind of solidified the beginning of the end for Louisville. Yes. Down there with the $100,000 or whatever it was from Adidas. Yes. Uh, he, he was on that team, and then um, uh, also Jaron Jackson Jr., who currently plays for the Grizzlies. That is a that was a, a, a star-studded team at La Lumiere. Um, and, uh, yeah, some of the, the downfalls of some members of that squad, uh, but <laughs> Langford, uh, absolutely took it to that team. Uh, that was one of my favorite games that I've watched any high school player, um, to just go against a team of that caliber. Um, he finishes, he's fifth all time, uh, leading scorer in Indiana with 3,002 points. And he was Mr. Basketball, um, his senior year. He was, um, really, really fun. And I know the career post high school is, um, not as, not as what we expected. I think, right. I'm, and, and to be completely honest, I'm disappointed in, in right. kind of what he was. I, I expected for him to um, have a much bigger career in Indiana and have a much bigger NBA career. Um, I think he'll be a solid role player. It looks like that he's kind of bouncing mm-hmm. around that way. But um, I have him ninth based on his um, career as a, a scorer, the the sort of the, the lore that he, he had when, uh, coming into high school and uh, the obvious, uh, obvious the, uh, the win, winning success they had there at New Albany. Yeah, for sure. At number eight, what do you got? I went with the very well-known, very popular uh, Steve Alford. Here we go. Out of Newcastle Chrysler High School. Um, He is the all-time game and career scoring leader at Newcastle and scored his career high 57 in the 1983 semi-state game. Wow. So when we think about, again, we've talked with the the senior from Northwood that kind of has his coming out party, shows out in the state title game. Certainly in a semi-state, you don't think that you're going to go out and score your all-time career record, yeah. um, let alone going to drop almost 60 yeah. in the semi-state. Uh, 2,116 career points. He is two years All-State, three years All-Conference, the 83 Mr. Basketball. Uh, we know well-versed in his career at Indiana and what he did there. But, again, that's where I had a really kind of difficult time in our conversation here and picking our team was sticking to just what did you do in four years of high school. Right. Uh, you know, so I, for me, that's where the overall success you had as a player and what did your teams do really came into play because I didn't want to pick people who were just on the all-time scores list. Right. Uh, because there's a whole lot of people that we know that can put the ball in the hole. Right. But statistics, you know, statistics and success don't always necessarily correlate. Um, sometimes they do. Uh, but – in this case, you know, he, he did go on. You know, they had some success, won state championship. Played for his dad in high school, which I think is really cool. Yeah. Uh, 
But for me, yeah, that is my number eight is Steve Alford. Yeah, it is. It's kind of a, an interesting thing to think about because it's hard not to look at someone like Alford and and immediately think the success at Indiana University. Yeah. Um, and it's not like he didn't have it in high school, obviously, um, judging from that. But um, his reputation preceded him as well when he went to to IU. I mean, mm-hmm. I think that's kind of the, the theme of the past couple players yeah. we, we've talked about. Um, he had a reputation coming into it, and he is one of those guys that has just a legendary status as an Indiana high school yeah. basketball player. Um, someone I wish I would have had the opportunity to see, but uh, I've enjoyed watching his teams that he's coached even now as, as he's become a successful college yeah. coach. Yeah, and would have racked up all those points without the three-point line. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's that's a pretty interesting uh, thing to think about, and I thought a lot about that as I, as I looked down some of this list of some of the guys who were um, – um, who played before the three-point line was introduced, yeah. it would have been interesting to see where he would have racked up. And then someone uh, later on in my list, I want to have that same discussion about if we have the three-point line. But to <laughs> think about Alford playing with the three um, in high school uh, would be uh, a pretty interesting... Uh, oh, absolutely. Yeah, I, I would love to see what what, uh, what that changes. Um, I definitely would like to see that. Um, for my number eight, I have uh, kind of an interesting one, and I threw him in here because we were talking about the success and sort of the performances when those big games are on the line. Um, so at number eight, I have Scott Skiles um, Ooh, I like from that Plymouth. Pick. Yeah. So just to introduce, so Scott Skiles, his senior year average, 29.2 points a game. So he's a 30-point-a-game scorer, uh, leads the state in scoring as a senior. Um, now he finishes with uh, 1,788 career points. Um, so not as high up as some of the other guys we've mentioned, right. but I am kind of throwing in the the, um, the tournament success here. So they win their state title game in a double overtime game. Skiles has 39 points in the state title game in a double overtime, and he hits a 22-foot jump shot at the buzzer to win the state title in double overtime. And he's gone on to have um, you know careers playing at Michigan State and, and, at, um, and playing in the NBA as well. I think he still holds the single-game assist record for – 30, right? Yeah, 30 assists in an NBA game. That was before Shaq played with Orlando. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's uh, <laughs> like he threw 30 lobs on that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he, uh, he had to work his way for those 30 assists. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he uh, yeah was uh, a big-time dime dropper in the NBA, but um, a, a great Indiana high school career. Um, to have you know be up on the scoring list, um, but to average you know lead the state in scoring, to win a state championship, to hit that game winner, and there's a lot of guys who have um, those game winning shots in the state title. But I think combined with that winning and um, the st- uh, the statistics he put up in, in his high school career, um, I have Scott Skiles at number eight. Nice. Looking at number seven, I went with Mike Conley Jr. at number seven. Um, cer- certainly wasn't the focal point. Of his high school team at Lawrence North, yeah. there from 2003 to 2006, uh, but in large part because he played alongside Greg Oden, um, yeah. who was at the time the most heavily recruited, highly touted, you know, center that had really come through uh, not only Indiana but nationally. Gosh, in a long time, you think back to people like you know Shaq and David Robinson. And some of those guys at the high school level, they really hadn't had a center like him come through in, you know, decades. Um, And he was even, you know, in discussions as far as being the most NBA-ready high school player and putting him up there in conversations with LeBron in terms of his ability to go straight from high school to be able to fit the NBA game. And it just so happened the NBA changed their rules and he couldn't go straight out of high school. So, uh, 
Or sorry, I'm talking about Greg Oden. There wasn't a, no, you're no, I you're good. I mean, Greg Oden. Well, no, but, but I think that I think that 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 shows a lot though because because Odin got all the attention, but right. you have but you have Mike Conley um, here at seven, but and and the two of them on the same high school team, which I'm sure you'll get into the dominance that they that well. They and showed. reading about reading about Conley, there's an interesting quote from Odin who says, you know, the offense and, and the team runs through Mike. Right. You know, he said, I'm on the block, I get blocks, I get rebounds, I get dunks. Uh, but Conley runs the show. Yeah. You know, he he is the he's the general on the floor. And thought that was very complimentary um, of a kid, uh, you know, who doesn't necessarily have to be complimentary right. Right. in that instance. Um, but with 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 Conley um, is a starter for all four years. Um, he and Odin both were the first freshmen to start for Jack Kiefer at Lawrence North. Started all four years. Uh, won three state titles, and between the beginning part of their junior year through their senior year, they had a 50-game win streak, uh, which is still the record for most consecutive wins in Indiana. Wow. Uh, yeah, I definitely have um, him later on on my list, but Conley was uh, the guy that, again, was was underrated on, on the team. I mean, yeah. definitely Odin got the attention, and, and rightfully so. Um, but uh, Mike Conley, I've, I mean – Reading about him, and I'll get into it with him as well, but um, the success long-term as well, I know Odin, you know, we'll get into that a little bit later, but uh, Conley having that high school success and then going from from college in the NBA, he has been a long-time pro uh, and had a lot of success at, at the the highest level. But uh, Conley was as good a point guard, I think, that there's ever been in, in yeah, the state of Indiana. Looking now, especially in the NBA, where – the shelf life of certain players is really it's it's almost becoming NFL esque. Yeah. In the sense that if you don't peak in that first three to four five year window, you're not in the league very long anymore right. in the NBA. And for him to have the longevity that he's had being in the league since two thousand and seven. Yeah. Uh, to still be there in twenty twenty three, you know, it says a lot about him. And and you could argue he's not the most athletic guy in his house. No. Yeah. Growing up. Yeah. You know, yeah. His, absolutely. Yeah. His, his dad's an Olympian. <laughs> And, you know, we're looking at a 16-year NBA veteran, and he may not be the most athletic guy in his family. Yeah, yeah, that definitely he comes from uh, some some success um, in his family as well. But uh, um, I kind of want to get into Mike Conley here in a little bit because he actually uh, makes later appearance. But Good. Um, number seven for, for me, I have uh, Glenn Robinson from Gary Roosevelt. Uh, I have the big dog on there. Um, I, I included Glenn Robinson because he has a, a, a really interesting, well-rounded career after high school. But in high school um, – he won three sectional titles, two regional titles, and a state champion. Um, his senior season in, in 1991, um, he won a state title. Um, he beat a, 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 actually an Allen Henderson squad from uh, a Brave of Jesuit. Okay. And uh, so they were. that was a pretty highly anticipated game. He was the 91 Mr. Basketball. Um, he was an All-American. Um, he was a great college player at Purdue and in the NBA. But um, I have Glenn Robinson um, because – he and I think this is my first uh, my first big man on the on the list. Uh, it is uh, Glenn Robinson. Just kind of again started that legend there in high school. I mean he um, again uh, synonymously known as uh, the big dog. Uh, he was a dominant high school player um, to win throughout his career, winning sectional titles um, three straight years, winning multiple regional titles, and winning a state championship. He dominated high school basketball his entire yeah. uh, entire career, and he continued that. Uh, dominance as he went into the college into the pros but um i have glenn robinson uh at number seven 
uh, just because of of that sure dominance. I think there's you know he's one of the two or th- maybe top five I would say most dominant big men that the, yeah. the state has ever seen in high school. Yeah. Looking at where are we at number six. Number yeah. six. Okay, so looking at six, I went with the Rocket Rick Mount out of Lebanon High School. Um, obviously had his four years at Purdue. He's an Indiana Hall of Famer, and somehow it he didn't get inducted until 1992. Yeah, I don't, that's kind of surprising. That's a little bit confusing for me. And I got another guy on the list too. I want to discuss about how long it took the Hall of Fame to get them inducted, um, but scored 2,595 career points. That puts him at eighth all time on the list. Uh, let's see. He was the first ever high schooler featured on the cover of Sports Illustrated. I completely forgot about that fact. Um, I, I did not know that. I had never heard that before. That is, that's pretty fantastic. Named the nation's best high school player by USA Basketball Yearbook in 1966. Averaged 33.1 points per game his last two years in high school. Uh, and all is the man that people look to when it comes to shooting and form and technique and breaking down a jump shot. Uh, he's got videos. He has clinics. He had a clinic up until, gosh, just not too long ago where he was putting on shooting camps. Right. Um, and that was one of the perennial camps to go to, not just in Indiana, but across the country. Mm-hmm. Um, you want to go to Rick Mount shooting camp. And so the impact he had as a high school player to me, um, uh, certainly goes just beyond the 1966 realm. He's still relevant today in Indiana basketball. Um, absolutely. I mean, he's someone I, I actually want to talk about a little bit later in the list as well. But uh, you mentioned Alford, uh, what it would be like having the three-point line back in uh, <laughs> their day. I imagine that Rick Mount would have a, a significantly different number when you look at uh, the all-time scoring list if there was no, a three-point line back no in his doubt. day. Uh, yeah, and uh, I'd like to get into his career a little later too because uh, Rick Mount is one of the ones that um, if I could choose a few players to go back and watch – um, in their heyday, Rick Mount's at the top of my yeah. list for sure. Um, his his career in high school and college and beyond is really interesting. And to, for you to mention that he was the first high school uh, athlete to ever be on the cover for Sports Illustrated is very, very cool. I did not realize yeah, that, that I completely case. forgot that he was the first to do that. I've, I've seen it before and I've read a couple of things about it, but it's just one of those things that a little factoid that kind of you forget about. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's really cool. Um, I, I have some things about the Rocket uh, coming up, but at number six for me, I have Mike Conley Jr. from Lawrence North. Um, so I want to throw a couple of stats because we've kind of introduced Mike Conley, but Mike Conley in high school, he finished his career um, with 1,157 points. Um, he has the school record with 449 assists and 290 steals. Um, you talked about the offense going through, uh, or Odin mentioning the offense went through him. Obviously, the the attention was, was on Greg at that time, but... Um, a great guy to throw some assists to for sure. I'm sure. Uh, yeah, I'm sure it makes it a little easier to get up on the assist list when you can, you know, dump it down to Greg. But um, to have those numbers, um, the score to, to be able to have that many assists and score that many points um, and that many steals, um, and it going back to the the 50 game win streak, and they lost just two games in his the final half of his high school career yeah. is unbelievable, and um. They won three consecutive state championships. I think, you know, when I looking at this, I've heard a lot of um, reading a lot of different articles and reading a lot of different things about them. Um, him mentioned a lot as the best point guard in the history of the state. Um, and I don't think that's um, an unfair statement uh, to anybody else. I mean, to win that many state titles, to have those numbers, um, to be that dominant, I don't know if there's been a more dominant team across the board for that long or they're, they're up there with that. But 
at number six, I have Mike Conley Jr. Yeah. So getting into our top five here, and I think we broke our top five down a little bit differently. So I did my top five uh, kind of ranking more by position, <coughs> uh, but was also mindful of thinking about who would my top five players be in general. Right. Um, I just kind of put them down by position. So number five for me is Greg Oden. Okay. Um, and I will get on my Greg Oden tangent now, and <laughs> I may have to talk about Mike Conley during this section. Yeah, just flip it. Um, I'll flip my, my choices here. Uh, but no, so Oden scores 1,873 points in his career, has 1,058 rebounds, 341 block shots, and shot 74% from the floor. Uh, it's hard not to laugh listening at those. Again, like, was mean... <clears throat> was one of two. Him and Conley, again, first two freshmen to ever start for Jack Kiefer up there, who has one of the all-time greatest coaching careers in the history of the state. Uh, alongside Conley, wins three state titles, 50-game win streak, uh, Gatorade National Player of the Year, Gatorade Indiana Player of the Year, Mr. Basketball, uh, along with – all-American awards, uh, you name it. And as far as his senior year goes, he basically won. You know, he he took home the prize. Um, and is, for me, the most dominant high school player I've I've seen play. Uh, I'll get into a couple of other guys on my list here that I didn't have the opportunity to watch play because I was too young. Um, but as far as, as players that I've had the chance to actually see, he, he and Eric Gordon are probably the two most dominant high school players I've watched in person. Yeah, um, I, I didn't get to see him play in person, but again, the reputation um, around the state with Odin, seeing him in high school, there's two guys I've seen in high school that it just looked like they weren't built like other high school, and it's him and LeBron James, and LeBron in high school just looked more dominant, but looking at Greg Odin, he didn't, he didn't look like he was 18 years old. He was so physically uh, just gifted. Um, he dominated every aspect of the game, and to have a point guard at that level and to have a center of that level... Um, I mean, it was thought that he was going to be the next Shaquille O'Neal. Like, he yeah. was going to be the next most dominant center. And, yeah. I, I, you know, and um, that didn't end up being the case um, with, with the injuries. But um, he and Conley end up going to Ohio State and going to a national championship game, losing to, to Florida, I believe, yeah. that year. But um, they continued their dominance going on to going on to college. Um, but I, 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 I never had to see him in person. But I, I know just from seeing clips of games when I was at – at that age and seeing him, there's – I've never seen anybody that size, that skill, that just completely dominated the way that Greg Oden did. Yeah, there were certain publications that were doing writings on him that said he was the most polished big man that they had seen since Kareem oh, wow. coming out of high school in New York City. Um, we almost got a chance to play them my senior year. Uh, kind of a funny story. We went to the IU team camp okay. in Bloomington, and, of course, this would have been – uh, Odin's junior year, going into junior year, my senior year, and of course he's getting recruited by right. all the major schools, especially right. in the area. So I use recruiting him. The guys that they want to bring in, they bring to their team camp, uh, <clears throat> and it was day two, so it was the single elimination tournament day, and we had to go up and beat Evansville Central in order to play Lawrence North in Assembly Hall. Oh, wow. Which would have been cool. Yeah. Uh, so we get up early. We load the buses. We get up there. And we played Evansville Central once or twice already that summer. And we'd split both games. So we beat them once at Hanover. They beat us once somewhere else. And so we were looking forward to the game because we didn't – it wasn't like there was a rivalry. Right. But when you see a team not from your area twice in the summer, 
it kind of becomes like, okay, let's see who's better here. Right. And long story short, we ended up getting knocked off. They beat us by a couple um, up there in the hyper, and we didn't get a chance to play Odin and those guys. But uh, no no guarantee that he would have played right. You know, against us. It, he might have had 100 yeah. if he wanted to. <laughs> uh, we didn't have a guy that was over 6'6". Yeah, you know, on our high school team, and certainly wouldn't have been as physical or as imposing as he was. Um, and I'm not real sure who would have guarded Conley on our squad. That probably would have fell on my shoulders to a certain degree. And I don't know how well that would have went. So, <laughs> yeah, that would have been uh, that would have been fun though to have that experience. I think just the just to be on the same court that would have been cool. Yeah, would have been definitely fantastic. Uh, before we move on um, with my number five, just the thing I remember being in school and thinking that it would have been awesome to watch. I remember. We've talked about these three guys with the dominance of Eric Gordon and Greg Oden and Mike Conley, but I believe for a, a period of time those three were on the same AAU team, and they are regarded yeah. as one of the, the greatest AAU teams yeah. in the country uh, of all time. Uh, and there were some other really good Indiana players on that team, uh, yeah. on that squad as well, but to have those three was um, uh, a pretty pretty dominant uh, AAU squad. Uh, but to get to my number five, I have Jay Edwards from Marion. Um, Jay Edwards, um, a pretty storied career. And I think one of the um, almost a I would say like a what if when you get into college, but mm-hmm. um, very Jay, much so. Jay Edwards at Marion, you talk about um, just dominance at the high school level. Um, he, Edwards won three straight state titles with Marion yep. from eighty five to eighty seven. Um, six four, but he had just the the to give it from statistics, just as good of a shooting stroke I think as any player that's ever played. We talk about guys that. Um, were, you know, great shooters when we talk about Alford and talk about uh, Rick Mount. But Edwards was as good a shooter as anybody, and a guy that I think was ahead of his time in terms of, of that size that could that could shoot and play that way. Yeah. Um, in his three seasons as a varsity player, um, their record was eighty-five and four. Um, that, yeah, that is. Um, uh, now, now, what's interesting is is he actually shared um, his Mister Basketball honor with his teammate. Uh, Lyndon Jones. So yeah, I believe they're a rare, yeah, that's rare a thing. That's pretty interesting to me that they are um, sharing Mr. Basketball. I know that that was a very successful team. Edwards finished with uh, 1,860 points. Um, he comes up on the list. Uh, where is he all time? Uh, Edwards is not as high as what you would think. It's, he would be outside the top 50. Yeah, he's outside the top 50. Um, yeah, and we have our, the top 50 sitting here. Yeah, he is, um, you know, not necessarily the, the highest uh, statistical, uh, you know, prowess of some of the guys we've talked about, but um, average about 20 a game in high school um, and winning three straight title, three straight state titles um, and sharing the Mr. Basketball honors. But I have him at five just because of um, – being a guy that size, that was what I would consider to be ahead of his time with his skill set, um, he was a completely dominant player at the high school level. Um, but And I have I have him at number five. Nice. Uh, number four, um, I have George McGinnis at my number four. And I think with, with McGinnis, you kind of don't really think about McGinnis as far as the high school career. Right. Uh, you associate him with the two years he spent at IU. Uh the one year that he played varsity because they didn't let freshmen play right away in college at that point when he was graduating high school. So he got his, his one year at IU and averaged just absurd numbers. Um, it was something like 30 and 20 is what he averaged his one year that he really was on the roster in IU before he went to the Pacers. And then you think about his career 
with the Pacers, winning an ABA title, winning multiple ABA titles there with the Pacers. But his high school career is also equally as storied. Uh, he was All-State in both football and basketball. I would not want to say him on a football uh, field. Yeah, I don't. There. <laughs> George McGinnis and I think just on the basketball court, having to block that out would be enough, let alone throwing pads on and being expected to bring him down. Uh, is He was the first... Indiana high school basketball player to score over a thousand points in a season. Oh, my gosh. Um, he did that his senior year, undefeated state championship in 1969, and went for 53 points and 31 rebounds in the Indiana Kentucky All Star game, and was also named the MVP. As yes, you can probably. Yeah, I, I would say nobody racked up as many <laughs> um, as uh, as many points and uh, rebounds as he did. Yeah, McGinnis is one, um, and. <clears throat> I have him later on my list as well. Out of Indianapolis, Washington, he's a, a kid that you hear um, to t- kind of talk about the folklore and the legend of certain yeah. guys, you know, in the parks up there in downtown Indy when people used to go outside and play basketball. Yeah. Um, you know, Shocking. Lord, Lord forbid now. we do that anymore. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's easier to play 2K than it is yeah. to go outside and actually get a real game in. But uh, all sorts of stories about him just dominating grown men yeah. and college players. You know, outside on the courts in the summers and the falls and stuff there in Indianapolis. So uh, that is my number four. Yeah, and to get into McGinnis uh, later on, and I have some things on him in a little bit, but um, we were talking about some of the the famous shooting camps around the state. I know they had the Rick Mount shooting camp. I, I'd love the um, George McGinnis one handed jump shot <laughs> shooting camp if uh, that would have been a great one to, to attend. Um, so number four for me, I have uh, the Rocket. I have Rick Mount. Okay, um, from Lebanon. Um, so I put him because um, I think he. And I hate to say it above um, Alford because I know Alford would get a lot of credit as maybe the best shooter the state's ever seen. But I, I yeah. think I think that goes to I think that goes to Rick Mount as the best shooter that that's ever been in the state. Um, again, like you had said, uh, it's incredible that he is the first high school athlete on the cover of Sports Illustrated. Um, he was the number one player in the country, averaging thirty uh, points per game his junior and senior year. Um, he is still up there in the top ten. To have graduated in 1966, play without a three-point line, not being a big man. You know, we're not we're not looking at a McGinnis, we're not looking at Greg Oden or a guy that's um, dominant physically. Right. To still be eighth all time, to not have a three-point line and be a shooter and still be in the top ten, I think is incredible. Um, someone that uh, should have. It, it's a crime we don't get to see him play with the, the three-point line. I think yeah. it would have just been incredible to see him play with play with that. Um, so. Uh, I I know it's high school, but I want to throw out a couple things as as he goes out of um, high school. So um, I believe he is still, I mean, I'll fact check this um, just off the top of my head, though, that he is still Purdue's all-time leading scorer. Um, Yeah, I believe that's correct. Yes, and and he averaged at Purdue three three straight seasons scoring 30 points per game at the college level. Um, His senior year, he averaged 35 um, and he scored 2,323 points in his college career. Again, without a three-point line in a very jump-shot-heavy offense. And it's funny, I actually watched, not that long ago, before we even talked about um, doing this list, uh, on YouTube you can find a ton of old games, yeah. old high school games, old college games, which um, I've watched a lot of those. And I watched the um, 1969 National Championship, um, UCLA versus Purdue. Now, UCLA uh, wins this title. But watching them run their offense through Rick Mount against UCLA and just um, and another underrated uh, Indiana player in uh, Bill Keller on that mm-hmm. Purdue team. But yep. watching Rick Mount just 
be a sniper in an era without a three-point line and taking, you know, 15 to 20-foot jump shots almost every possession. Um, it was just so much fun. I know those UCLA teams dominated that era, but uh, that Purdue team was uh, stacked, and to see um, Rick Mount at that level um, dominate was incredible. And it would have been, I, you know, we didn't get to see him play, but I would have, if I'm going back in time and I can see um, – one of these players in at, uh, in Indiana, I, I'm Rick Mount may be the top of my list. Yeah, what do you think? In an eight year period between four years of high school and four years of college, he scored five thousand <laughs> points. Like, yeah, and it's two it's two points every time. Yeah, you could give. I know kids. You could give an entire summer to with an open driveway, and they might not get to five thousand. So he's doing it as not only the best player on the team. You know, he's you know that they're throwing all sorts of junk at him defensively. He's doing it as a guy that they know they have to stop. Yeah, and he's still going out and filling it up. Yeah, that is that is, um, yeah, that is just legendary stuff. Um, how about you at number three? Uh, number three, I stole one of yours. I took Jay Edwards. Okay, at number three. So, like I said, I kind of did my top five by position. So Jay Edwards kind of filling as my small forward all time. Okay, um, and to kind of go off of what you already said, three straight state titles at Marion, uh, co Mister Basketball. All-American, Indiana All-Star, uh, 1,860 points, and again, with no three-point line. So, yeah. you know, I think, like, going back historically, would love to see would love to see game film of Rick Mount, Steve Alford, and Jay Edwards yeah. with the three-point line superimposed yeah. to see where their shots were coming from and to get an idea of, based on the shots they made, how many more points would they have scored? Because yeah. I've seen people do that with – uh, Pete Maravich at LSU, yes, where they've taken the game film and then superimposed the three-point line, and his points per game went up by like eight or nine points per yeah. game because he took so many deep shots, yes, even without the three-point line in college. Um, and he was an absolutely absurd college player too, but the yeah. fact that the numbers were that much higher yeah. is crazy. So you know, looking at you know Alford, Mount, Jay Edwards, that their career points would have been significantly higher, their, their career averages – probably would have been at least a few more points higher yeah, if they had the three-point line. Absolutely. And, um, you know, I mentioned Edwards previously. Um, you know, this could be a, a future discussion at some point, but a player I would love to see play in today's game. Um, and I know we're talking high school here, but to play at the college and pro level, I think his game really translates to the way mm-hmm. it's played today. Being I completely a, a, agree with that. Yeah. Um, definitely a player I would have loved to see him play in high school, especially a team of that that status to win three straight title three I keep screwing that one up there three straight state titles it's a tongue twister yeah Cam. yeah to win uh to, to win uh that often um in all your uh, varsity years in high school and um sharing the sharing the Mr. Basketball honor though is one that still kind of puzzles me that's yeah. a, that's an odd an odd and to there. run off three in a row in single class basketball too yes yeah uh you know so we're not talking about a team in class basketball getting hot with one group yeah. that comes through and is just loaded and talented. You know, we're talking about single-class basketball. And not that the talent in the state isn't always, no, to me, head and shoulders above anywhere else in the country. Um, but at a time in the you know mid-late 80s, you know, when everybody had dudes. Yeah. Um, and to do what they were doing is really, really impressive. Yeah, I think that's one thing we're kind of not um, – I guess we haven't mentioned, but th- – and we maybe have had some more recent guys, but to win state titles at that time, to put up scoring numbers like that at that time, when you are competing outside your class against you know whoever you came up against in the yeah. tournament is big time. To win three yeah. straight, 
Um, we know we talked about Alford's uh, state title as well, and him throwing down fifty-seven in a semi-state <laughs> game. And this is this is not. And again, there's, you know, I don't think that dividing up in class takes away from anyone that wins any state title in any way. But to win three in a row, single class is in semi-state. Wouldn't you think you would have seen enough film to know? <laughs> yeah, going to offer there. Yeah, uh, they're probably going to throw the ball to twelve. Yeah, I'm thinking at some point, you know, at, maybe at halftime, maybe go zone. What are what what what's on the what's on the chalkboard? I think in the um, I think I'm coming in as a coach, and I'm I'm either hopefully not surprised, but uh, pretty upset about that one. I'm thinking the scouting report's got uh, him circled. Yeah, I may not go full Zach Eadie and put the whole hole through the corner of the chalkboard. Yeah, but there's a, certainly a thought. <laughs> Like I'm, there's a, a definitely on clipboard number two or number three at halftime. Yeah, how do you let the guy go for 57? <laughs> He's not on the scouting report. Did you not watch film? Yeah, I think uh, I think that one is uh, either an incredible performance or, or maybe we're we're not quite following the report there. <laughs> um, so at three, you had Edwards. Yes. Um, number three, I have I have Damon Bailey. Number three, okay, from over North Lawrence. Um, and the guys I have ahead of, I think, um, the guys I have ahead of them, I just have for um, some other reasons and sort of more more legendary status. Gotcha. But there there aren't there aren't many more legendary players in the history of the state than Damon Bailey. Sure. Um, and we may get into the discussion a little more towards the end, but uh, uh, I'm assuming you have him as well at some point. I may let you read some of those things off, but um, Damon Bailey, I have him at number three because I don't I don't think there's a more I don't think there's a more like um, st- like I don't think there's a bigger staple of sure. Indiana high school basketball right. than Damon Bailey and his story. Hundred um, w- uh, percent winning um, winning state titles, um, being the the all time leading scorer, uh, being a national player of the year, and then just coming out of junior high being a guy that everyone was talking about being the stuff. Yeah. And I think that's kind of the big one. Is like before he even stepped on a high school court, they're talking about Damon B- Bailey being as good a player as anybody's ever seen. Oh yeah. Um, so I'm going to tell a, a story. I wasn't around for that. Someone who I really would love, love to have seen. But uh, my dad told me going to, to Damon Bailey's games in I'm late 80s and early 90s, he went to watch them play Floyd Central uh, back when Floyd Central had Pat Graham. Mm-hmm. And so you've got a, a Mr. Basketball facing up against a future Mr. Basketball. And one of the things I think that he had in high school that wasn't seen as much in college and in the pros just due to some injuries once he got to Indiana um, was the, the bounce that he had as a high school player. Yeah. And that's something that I think is – Pretty interesting to, to have a guy that doesn't quite look like the guy that will beat you athletically. Yeah. Uh, but my dad said he would, you know, cup the ball in, in warm-ups and scoop and just drop it above the rim. I mean, and I know you guys, you know, can't see what I'm, you know, kind of describing here, but to be a guy that, you know, you can't dunk in the warm-ups, but to just be able to to scoop it and, and drop it in the hole with your, your forearm at the rim. Um, an athlete as well as um, – just a dominant basketball player. I think that he's, and I have him lower on my list. I think that maybe a lot of people would, but um, I think he's just, I think he's a legend above a lot of other players. And I think that yeah. goes across the country. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, number two for both of us. I'm going to start uh, two for me is Oscar Robertson. Okay. Uh, which I think probably across, if you asked probably most people, definitely most kids, they would have no idea maybe who number one Oscar Robertson is yeah. at this point. Um, because he's you know so far removed, um, which is a travesty I think in and of itself that yeah. kids don't know some of the you know all time greats from Indiana basketball. Uh, 
but I doubt there's a whole lot of people that also know that Oscar Robertson's from Indiana. Yeah. Um, you know, because college-wise, he goes to Cincinnati. He plays for the Cincinnati Royals in the NBA, moves on to the Milwaukee Bucks, plays with Kareem, you know, becomes the original Mr. Triple-Double. Yeah. Um, but for me, I went Oscar at number two. Uh, he wins two state titles back-to-back in 55 and 56. Uh, 1956 was undefeated. He's Mr. Basketball. He's two-time All-State. He's an All-American. We know all of the accolades he accomplishes post-high school basketball. Um, but for me, also what he was able to do for the state of Indiana at Crispus Attucks High School yeah. um, in a time when certainly there was turmoil yeah. in the state um, and to see an all-black high school come in and win back-to-back state championships, I think what that was able to do for the state um, is arguably bigger than what he did for basketball. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, Absolutely. And I think changed perceptions and changed conversations, and especially in Indianapolis, which, I mean, even though Indiana, obviously not being in the South, but Indiana's kind of one of those border states yeah. that, you know, there's certain areas where people are stubborn and hold on to ideologies. And I think that team being able to win a state championship led by Oscar uh, did nothing but move the state forward in a positive direction. Yeah, I would I would completely agree with that. Um, I'm obviously, I'm going to talk about Oscar as well um, here coming up, but yeah, I think that's something that I think gets overlooked in terms of teaching. Uh, I think maybe it could be looked at as a um, a teaching point in American history, but um, certainly in the state of Indiana, it's it's a guy that's that's overlooked. It's a guy that's uh, kind of gets lost in in history, and I, and I I almost don't understand how. I mean, just being that dominant at the high school, college, and NBA level. Yeah. Um, and when you, you know, when they're pulling up records in the and, and with the way the game is played today in the NBA, it's a lot more possessions. It's faster paced. There's, you know, guys that have usage rate at a really high level yeah. and they've got the ball a lot. You know, every time they pull up one of those, you know, those stats and they'll compare players, Oscar's on all those lists. Yeah. Those, those triple-double lists, those – those points, rebounds, assists at a, at a higher number than 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 many, and and again, looking at a player you'd like to see play in today's game, if that's the way you know he played then, yeah. in a game today would be and one of the original big guards too yeah. in the NBA. Oh yeah, I mean six five, physically imposing. You know, was he could he could not only beat you off the dribble because he was quick, he was fast, had speed, and again, I'm going off film. Um, but could also give you the Mark Jackson, Charles Barkley, and back you down yeah. from 25 feet out and put you under the rim and go get himself a bucket. Yeah. And averaging a triple-double, not only in the time of the NBA when he did, but playing alongside someone like Lou Alcindor, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, yeah. where you would think, Greg Oden, Mike Conley situation, everything's going to go into the big fella yeah. and then play off. The fact that he's averaging a triple-double uh, – Playing alongside arguably, you know, one of the four or five greatest to ever play, uh, certainly is a testament to how talented he was. So he's my number two. Yeah, absolutely. Um, number two for me, I have George McGinnis. Um, I put George McGinnis up a little bit higher, and I think that I kind of went with more of a, a legend status. I think there is, you know, I, I have Bailey at three, and I know Bailey has a lot of. Um, a lot of still support and fans around the state even to this oh, day. Sure. But McGinnis is one, I think, if we had... In, in the in the age of social media now, yeah, where... As long as you know you're getting ripped on Twitter here in a little while. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm thinking... I, I knew that it would be uh, upsetting for a lot of people if I have... <laughs> 
Damon Bailey not at um, – You've ruffled a lot of feathers in Lawrence County, my friend. <laughs> yeah, not at number one. And it was hard because, you know, it's someone that it's like, oh, I pencil him in at number one. Um, but, I, you know, I thought a lot about it. And I, I think, you know, in, in the age of social media when you've got high school players where you can see every single game and you yeah. can see, you know, all their AAU tournaments and, you know, that you're constantly seeing, you know, every statistic in every game and every, you know, every play they make um, – George McGinnis is one that I think if if he was playing in today's game or the footage that we have now was back then would be one that I think people would be more fascinated with. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, I you know I don't want to take away from either player or give too much credit to one player or the other, but to me it's almost like a and maybe not with the leaping ability, but he reminds me of what people talked about with Zion Williamson when he was coming up, yeah. like that sort of physical player. Um, at, at like 6'9", I believe he's listed that size, but not just the height, just the physical stature, um, and to dominate the game the way he did. And, you know, not just with the way he scored, but the, the rebounding and just the defensive dominance. And, the, the you know, they they go 31-0 in, in his in final 60, season. 69, right? Yeah, in their state championship year. Um in the state, I believe the state championship game, he has 35 points and 27 rebounds. Um, when you put a two, when you're reading rebounds and it starts with a two, yeah. that you're starting to get in some serious, and it's very, very close to 30. I mean, you're throwing almost a 30-30 game in a state championship game. It's it's almost laughable. Um, he scored, I believe you read this as well, but uh, over 2,000 points, um, 1,638 rebounds. He was a national player of the year. Um, he plays at IU for um, a year um, and then goes to – or plays varsity for a year, rather. Yeah. Um, he's the ABA Rookie of the Year. And I know this isn't high school, but just to kind of talk about his accolades mm-hmm. after. He's ABA Rookie of the Year. He wins a championship with the ABA Pacers. Um, something they've not seen in the NBA. And then later playing for um, the Philadelphia 76ers and winning a championship with them as well in the late 70s. Um, he dominated his entire way through his career. But in high school – to not only put down the statistics he did, and I, I you mentioned this as well, but I believe there's a story, and I don't have the story here in front of me, but when he played in the Kentucky-Indiana All-Star game, there was some talk by other players and some sports writers that maybe there was a little bit of an overrated um, um, quality to George McGinnis coming into that. Um, and so coming into that game there was this talk that he may not have been as good as what they're said to be and then to go into the Indiana Kentucky All-Star game which is the top players from Indiana Kentucky playing at Freedom Hall in 1969 to score 53 points and grab 31 rebounds like you had mentioned <laughs> earlier uh definitely put any doubters um uh put them kind of on the back burner there um but I have him just because not only does he put up the statistics does he win state championships does he have undefeated seasons um just that legend um, and a player I would, and again, we're going on film here just by watching it, but a player I would love to have gone back and seen uh, play in person. So number two, yeah. I have George McGinnis. And before we get into number one, I think one of the cool things looking at our lists is not only do we have all time, obviously all time great high school players, and we could have a, you know, we can look at our polls and have people throw out their, their lists as well. Because right. um, these are by no means set in stone. This is just what you and I sure. think based on, uh, you know, our, I'd like to think vast knowledge, but I'll just say knowledge in general, um, <laughs> of the game here, you know, and we could swap out a whole list of other players to put to put on the top ten. Sure. Uh, but not only are we looking at guys who had outstanding high school careers, 
But all of these are people from Indiana who had remarkable college careers. You know, whether you look at George McGinnis getting one year on the roster at IU, but averaging like 30 and 20. Yeah. You look at Greg Oden and Mike Conley who go to Ohio State and in their first year go to a national title game. Now they ran into a buzzsaw that was Florida, Florida. who wins back-to-back titles. Um, and I would really like to have a conversation with the IU staff and find out why they did not recruit Mike Conley Jr., yeah, have you, have that's you heard? the reason why Greg Oden did not go to IU is because they refused to recruit Conley, and that's still a sour spot for me, and I'm not over it. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I was curious if you'd heard that before because I'd heard that same thing. They wanted Oden, and he said he would go if someone brought my, you know, if they brought Mike. Yeah, the coaching staff did not. They thought that their point guard position was solidified, and they weren't interested in recruiting Conley. And I would have a hard time looking at Greg Oden and saying no. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a that's interesting. This choice. is my this is my one Bold caveat move. that there's here's my one caveat to get me. I need this, and you you passed. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, but yeah, all of these guys, and you know, they've all played in the NBA. They've all had remarkable success outside of just high school basketball. Uh, so for me, I go number one, and the quintessential Indiana high school player, Damon Bailey. Uh, scores 3,134 career points. That's number one all time um, and has stood since 1990. We are 33 years removed and no one's caught that yet. He played in 110 high school games and scored in double figures 110 times. Wow. So that goes four years. That's freshman year through a senior year. Did Never have never had a game less than 10 points. Wow. Um, career high of 51 against Jeff as a sophomore. They win the 1990 state title. He played in three state title games. Um, 1990 Mr. Basketball, McDonald's All-American. Multiple awards for National Player of the Year. I'm not going to go into that list. Um, And then Indiana Basketball Hall of Fame. Um, Obviously, we know the career at IU. We know that the uh, injuries led to a shortened pro career. uh, But he's had success as a coach. He's been at Butler. Um, he's been the head coach of B&L Boys and Girls, won a state championship in 2014 with the B&L Girls. Um, so he's he's certainly maintained a relationship with basketball post uh, his playing days and has been equally as successful there. Uh, but like you said, when you, when you talk to people who got to see him play, uh, you know, the one difference I think that, that is unfamiliar to people who saw him play at IU as a point guard didn't understand how athletic maybe he was yeah. coming through his Bedford or coming through at Bedford. Um, but for me, that that's easily, easily my number one there. Yeah. And I, I wouldn't disagree with you. I know I have him at three, but it's like you just mentioned a second ago, there, there's a lot of interchangeable parts on this yeah. list. I mean, there are guys that, you know, I have like honorable mention, maybe we'll discuss that in a second, but there are guys who are on the list, off the list who are, you know, like, oh, I could throw him in, in that list. And looking back at this, and I'm looking at honorable mention, I'm looking at these stats, I'm looking at the all-time scoring list, and I'm like, oh, gosh, I could have put him here. Um, so Dan Bailey is not one that, you know, you know, can be undersold at that, at that position. No, and, and he's sort of the original super recruit. Yes. Uh, there's a, a documentary. It's a five- or six-minute film. I forget which company put it together. Uh, but it highlights him as being the super recruit and the yeah. 41,000 fans that watch his final game yeah. in Indy at the old RCA Dome, you know, when they when they won the state title, which is still a record yeah. um, for fans to attend a state championship game, and I think at any at, across the country, yes. I think that's still the record. Uh, but, you know, when you have Bobby Knight attending your middle school games, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> now granted, Bloomington to Bedford's a short drive, but high school or college coaches – 
especially a college coach that has already won three national championships, they don't go watch yeah. middle school kids. Yeah. And, you know, he kind of put the pressure on Bailey early by saying, you know, when Bailey was in eighth grade, that he would be the starting point guard for IU as an eighth grader. Yeah. Uh, and then for him to go through four years of high school and kind of, you know, pull a LeBron, not just live up to the hype, but in some cases surpass the hype, uh, is quite impressive. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, I would agree that in terms of what he did in high school, he absolutely exceeded it. Um, number one for me, I have one you've already mentioned, um, and I think that he deserves the uh, to be talked about again. I have Oscar Robertson, number yep. one. Um, and I think the reason I put Oscar Robertson here is um, what you mentioned as well, it wasn't just basketball-related. Mm-hmm. Um, for him to have the barriers that he had set up with him um, in, in a time with a lot of racial turmoil to win um, – Back-to-back state titles there uh, in 55 and 56 at Crispus Attucks um, to be an all-black high school uh, and to to do that at that time and um, in the dominance that he did um, when I'm sure that they faced, you know, us not being there, but I'm sure they faced a lot of backlash at that time. I think that that, along with his play in games, um, makes him number one for me. I think, um, and, you know, I, again, when I was looking at mine, I factored in legend sort of with the player. I I can't help but factor in what he went on to. And I know that may not necessarily be what um, you looked at, but when I look at him winning a gold medal in the Olympics mm-hmm. in 1960, um, winning two state championships in high school, winning an NBA championship with the Milwaukee Bucks, he is one of the all-time leading scorers. I believe he finished college basketball when he um, left uh, the college rankings and went into the NBA. I believe he was the all-time leading scorer in college basketball history when and he, he won- left what two national titles at Cincinnati too. Yes, and then going on to being a, you know, a, I believe the the all-time leading scorer in NBA history when he finished as well and he was up there at the top. Um averaging a triple double for an entire season which was unheard yeah. of at the time. He was named uh, the player of the century in 2000 by the National Association of Basketball Coaches. Um he's in the Naismith Hall of Fame as well as obviously the Indiana Basketball Hall of Fame. I think like you said, for people to Look back at Oscar Robertson and to not know, and and Damon Bailey may be a name that as well among among. Oh, we could kids probably have age. a discussion with our entire top ten, and think about how kids today probably don't know who these. Maybe Eric Gordon because he's still in the league, right? Uh, maybe Mike Conley Jr. because he's still in the league, but you could probably go through a high school right now. Generally speaking, most across the state, talk to your high school basketball team. Mention these names and have them raise their hands if they know who they are. Yeah, I would bet you would not get a very high rate of being aware of the of these guys. I, I would agree, and I think the name on that list that I think would be the most upsetting to me is the fact that it, that it's Oscar. Yeah. I think um, the Big O doesn't get enough uh, doesn't get enough credit at at all levels. But yeah. to me, I have him uh, at number one. No, I think that's a very very solid choice. I, there's no you get no complaints from me. You right. get no pushback. Right, I'm, I'm I'm anticipating some pushback on the Bailey from from others, maybe, but that'll be okay. We'll see. Um, okay, I think um, maybe we'll take a break here for a second, and when we come back, we'll talk maybe some honorable mention who we left off the list, and then get into our draft. All right, Cam. So looking at our top ten there, I think that's awesome. Um, I love the discussion with the list, the different players that we've got. Uh, but outside of our top ten, who are some guys that we could maybe throw into that honorable mention category that maybe we don't feel like meet the top ten requirement? But certainly we need to maybe just throw their name out and give them some acknowledgement. Sure. So I have a handful of guys that I, I were kind of my 
just missed the cut list. Um, some obvious ones, looking at like Steve Alford. Yeah. He was one that was really, really hard for me to, to keep off the list. Um, I thought really hard. Um, I hit maybe jumping into the, the ten, you know, eight, nine, ten spots. Um, I think I left off just because there were a couple guys statistically that were over. Um, you know, look at even at, back at my list now, I, I'm seeing some things where I'm like, oh, I, I maybe could have put that guy on there. But um, I, right. I, I didn't include Alford in my list. Um, it's not a not that didn't feel like sure. he was deserving, but I definitely, <laughs> um, definitely thought hard about that one. I'm throwing another name out there that you had. I had Greg Oden okay. um, on my honorable mention. Uh, really close to putting him on. Uh, definitely, you know, some of the dominance that that you talked about and and the you know the statistical numbers as well as their their winning streak it was really hard to keep him off. But um, he kind of just missed my cut for that reason. Um, do you have any guys that uh, you know maybe I put on my list that you didn't have any guys that just missed the cut that that you were yeah I just at? jotted some down um, Glenn Robinson I think for me would have to be an honorable mention yeah and you could argue I could you could certainly fill him in for right. anybody right in the top ten here um, Delray Brooks is somebody okay. yeah um, going back old school nineteen eighty four Michigan City uh, was recruited by Bobby Knight to IU left um, actually transferred to Providence but had a really really nice high school career. Um, James Blackman Sr. from oh, Marion. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, kind of came right before that Jay Edwards group. Yes. Um, Yogi Farrell, Cody Zeller, just looking simply at um, their success that they had throughout high school. Um, yeah. Especially with, with Zeller winning three state titles, um, freshman year, junior year, senior year. Uh, Yogi Farrell, the success that he had at, at Park Tudor. You know, playing alongside guys like Trayvon Blewett. Yeah, uh, that team was dominant. But kind of being a one-man show there at uh, Park Tudor for for a couple of years, um, and to do it at, at his size in high school yeah. at five ten, maybe a generous five eleven. Yeah, um, and really didn't put on muscle till he went to IU. Right. Um, so the type of high school player he was to be able to do it at his size with his speed, quickness, uh, the things he could do off the dribble. Uh, watching him play live a couple of times, and then seeing him play at IU, obviously. Um, was not necessarily night and day different, but gosh, the the amount that he grew as a player throughout um, his time at IU certainly is significant. Uh, I put the Van Arsdales. I was going to ask you have them because I have uh, them as well. Tom and Dick Van Arsdale. My grandpa was one. He would talk them up. They were yeah. Um, to him, the best players to come through Indiana. Yeah. Um, he would talk about Oscar because he was the same age as those guys, and then he was always on the Van Arsdales. Uh, Michael Lewis out of Jasper. Oh yeah, Michael. And then. One that you and I talked about wanting to mention and bring up real quick, just because we coached against him, and he is currently sitting at number six all-time on the Indiana scoring list, Just or will be graduating this year. He's a senior. Um, But Tyler Myers out of Evansville Day is kind of a flyer pick uh, for me, simply because we had the opportunity to go down to Evansville Day and play them, what, three years ago um, over Christmas break. And... We'd watched film. We'd broken things down. We knew that he was their focal point of the offense. We knew he was going to take the majority of the shots and knew they wanted to play fast and up-tempo and would try and shoot us out of the gym. Uh, But not until we got to see them live did we really understand his overall ability. Um, And he ended up dropping 30-something. 38, yeah. 38 on us. Yeah, he had a, a really nice 
really nice game. Yeah. Uh, did not make for a pleasant bus ride home no, it did not. that day from Evansville. Uh, but certainly uh, a name worth throwing out just since we both had the chance to coach against Yeah, them. I think being sixth all-time on the list is something worth at least noting, and especially seeing him in person, to be um, not the most physically, you know, not the tallest or the strongest or, you know, um, not the same athlete, I guess, compared to some of the guys we've seen on the list. But to be at 2,837, that's where, that's yeah. where he finished up. At Evansville Day there, um, he was impressive. I think as a sophomore, we saw him, and he was averaging 35 up to that point. I mean, he yeah. was as impressive of a player as we'd um, come up against, and that was just uh, yeah, that's a testament that's the thing to, to say it was it was three seasons or two seasons ago yeah. that we were down there, and as a sophomore, that's what he was doing. Yeah. Um, so certainly uh, kudos to him and just wanted to acknowledge yeah, absolutely. Uh, the fact that there's somebody inside the top ten that you and I have both not only seen in person, but uh, – Coached against, scouted for, broken down film on. Uh, so kind of an, a neat thing to discuss. There. And then got annihilated by. And <laughs> then had him almost drop a 40-piece on us, yes. <laughs> yeah, he was, but no, he's impressive. And Tyler, Tyler was a fun player to watch for his four years. Um, a couple guys really quick that I that I threw on. Uh, um, Marion Pierce, um, he's uh, yeah, second all time. time. I know that was quite a long time ago, but to be one of the you know handful of guys that have scored 3,000, um, yeah. that is uh, really, really impressive. Um, and then I also have Sean Kemp. Um, I think Sean Kemp is one of the legend. Um, he's on my honorable mention. He wasn't going to make my top ten. Um, he lost to Damon Bailey there in that state championship we were talking about a few minutes yeah. ago. But uh, we talk about guys that were physically dominant at the time when we were talking about Odin and talking about McGinnis and 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 um, uh, you know the big dog. Uh, but Sean Kemp is right up there with those guys in terms of the yeah, physical. Yeah, good luck getting dominance. up with him on the glass. Yeah, yeah. Uh, leading the state and rebounding uh, in his years in high school, and just being a guy that completely dominated, and then had a great career moving. Well, college was you know kind of a bumpy road uh, for Sean, but yeah. getting into the NBA, being a guy that dominated that level as well. Um, but uh, those are the guys I have and uh, my honorable mention list. Yeah, let's uh, let's talk about our draft. Yeah, that we let's do here. Yeah, let's draft it. Uh, so what I think we'll do is looking at the this list, and you know you may not even have to pull it from the list. I'm assuming uh, several will be pulled from the list here, yeah. but. Um, what I'd like to do is maybe we draft one at each position. So okay. we'll draft our starting five. Okay. Uh, you draft your point guard, shooting guard, small forward, power forward, center, and then we'll have uh, we'll have uh, two coming off the bench here. So we'll give, give ourselves a, a seven man roster if that sounds fair to you. Sounds good. Um, we'll draft our um, starting five and uh, a couple guys coming off the bench in case there's some foul trouble uh, in our game here. Uh, so um, I think. Uh, you're the youngest, so I will let you go first. All right. Okay. With my first pick. Now, are we picking? How do you? Do we want to pick positions, or are we taking anybody and filling our positions in? So, do you want to draft point guards first, two guards, small forwards? I, I, I say that 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 sounds good to me. I okay. think maybe we go by go by our position here. Okay. Um, with our with our guards, so. Um, we're gonna we'll go with point guards first year. So if I draft my point guard position, um, my number one pick uh, as a point guard, I'm gonna take Mike Conley Jr. Okay. as my point guard. Um, Off the board, I'm taking Mike um, for a lot of the reasons we talked about. I um, mean, clearly knows where to where to pass the ball. Absolutely, uh, he uh, filled it up there for Greg Oden. So I'm thinking if I have a a, a decent team here, that uh, Mike's gonna facilitate. Well. Okay. I will go ahead and just stick with the guy I put at my point guard spot, and I'm gonna put Damon Bailey at my point guard. Damon off the board there. 
I really undersold Damon in this, realizing that I just took Conley. <laughs> I've got him at three, and I didn't take him number one. I think I've really – this is not purposeful shade that I'm throwing at Damon Bailey here. <laughs> you have an axe to grind? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, did I have – I have, have not signed something in a camp <laughs> for you when you were little? Yeah, I have nothing against Bedford North Lawrence or, or Damon Bailey, but uh, I just – chips didn't fall for him for me today. <laughs> um, so at, at shooting guard, at the two, okay. uh, I'm going to take, take Rick Mount. Okay. I'm going to take Rick Mount at number two. Um, in all honesty of guys, I would love to go back and see. And I know we've just oh, had yeah. this discussion. I think, I think Mount may be one or two on my list. Yeah. Sure. How about you at number two for your shooting well, guard? Well, you're going to let me just keep my top five, it seems. I'm going to take Oscar at my shooting guard. Okay. I'm a little disappointed. In. I was saving that one maybe for a for a, a later pick there, but I figured he'd be on the board a little bit. Uh, maybe not that long. The big O's on the board. The big O goes off the board. Yeah. Yeah. All right, let's look at small, small forwards. forwards. Now, this is where we could get into yeah. taking people who maybe are not on our top ten list. Yeah, small forward is going to be an interesting one. Um, he's on my top ten list. Okay. And uh, I'm taking Larry Bird as my small okay. forward. Okay. I'm putting Larry Bird. Um, I, I put him at ten just because of that um, that senior season. Gotcha. I know that he may be left off of some high school lists, but I've got Bird there at, at the at the three. I'm at a tough, because I'm looking at our scoring list. Right. And I'm staring at a couple of names here, but I'm going to stick with my with my original. I'm going to put Jay Edwards at my small forward. That's the guy that I looked at between those two. I looked really hard at, uh, at Edwards. I know he's a little probably forward. undersized for a small forward position, but I think if we're just going strictly off of putting together a high school team, I'll take a 6'4 small forward. Yeah, I think Especially he... with his shooting ability, leaping ability. He's too good of an athlete to just not be willing to put in there. Oh, absolutely. And I think if you got Oscar there at your two, I don't think you're you're missing anything. Yeah, I think size. we'll be okay. <laughs> All right. Um, with my power forward, I'm going to snag him before he gets taken off the list. <laughs> uh, I'm taking George. I McGinnis knew you were going to do it. That number four. Um, I was kind of saving maybe for a five. Knew but, you were going to uh, do it. I, I've got to steal him while he's You're on there. You're a dirty, dirty cheater. So I, I'm kind of going opposite here. I'm going big. If I've got I've got 6'9 in my in my 3 and my 4 spot, uh, I'm snagging McGinnis here for, for power forward. Hmm. So now that leaves me in a weird spot. Do I go a little bit bigger? Or do I change up my thinking here? I don't think necessarily. Uh Tell you what, since you went there, I'm going to go a little bit unconventional. I'm going to go with the stretch four. I'm going to take Deshaun Thomas. Uh, I, had a feeling, I had a feeling you were stealing Deshaun. That's a good pick. You're spacing it out. You're going Oscar, playing some triple-double ball, yeah. and you got shooters in the corners. Just need get you a nice pick-and-roll guy there. All right, so for my fifth pick. This one's tough. Mm-hmm. It's tough because the center spot gets interesting. Yeah, and there's a guy on my list that I have, but I think I'm going to grab somebody else. I think I'm going to go with him because he's on my list. Okay. Uh, I'm going to take Glenn Robinson as my as Oh, my going big dog at the five. Yeah, I'm taking uh, Glenn Robinson as my as my five there. Uh, really close to another pick, and I'm assuming that's who gets snagged here next. But, uh, yeah, I'm taking Glenn Robinson here. Okay. Well, if you're leaving him on there, I want Odin at my, at my five. Yeah. I, I really thought about 
about uh, about taking him there at the center, but I didn't have him on my list. I didn't feel like it was fair for me to leave off the big dog if I put him there at seven for me. So, all right. So looking at our starting lineup, I have Mike Conley Jr., Rick Mount, Larry Bird, George McGinnis, and Glenn Robinson. Yeah, that's terrible. Yeah, <laughs> I hate that. Yeah, where's the, the weaknesses? <laughs> <laughs> so compared to that, to Bailey at the point, Oscar at the two, Jay Edwards playing small forward, Deshaun Thomas spacing the fo- the floor at the power forward spot. And then Odin Manning the middle at center. Yeah, that one's that one's not terrible. Uh, the potential <laughs> matchup though with McGinnis and Odin is interesting. Yeah. On the block, I think could be a whole lot of fun because then you give Robinson a time to operate short corner, short corner. He can play a little wing. I would. Uh, I would. Your, like to he see. may be the most Robinson may be the most versatile option you have. Yeah, I think if we're going straight matchups, um, it would be pretty interesting there. And it, it, seeing McGinnis and. Um, Odin on the block would be something that would be uh, worth watching. Uh, so if we're looking at um, guys coming off the bench for us. Okay. You've got a sixth man first, my friend. Okay. I'm going to grab my first guy coming off the bench. It's a guy in my honorable mention that I almost want to throw in there just, just for the sake of the the podcast, I may take him with my last picks. I'm going to save him. Okay. Me. So my guy coming off the bench, I'm, I've got a spark plug coming off the bench. I'm going Romeo Langford. Okay. I've got Langford coming off. I don't have a ton of, I gotcha. of running gun athleticism in my lineup. So he's going to be my uh, he's going to be my sixth man. He's going to come bring a spark off the bench. Yeah, and that's kind of where I'm going to go with mine too. I think I'm going to give my, my rotation a shot in the arm with some explosive scoring. I'm going to go Eric Gordon. EJ, nice pick. Similar similar strategies the guys come yeah. off the bench there. So seventh men, last guy. If we got a seven man rotation, who are you going to round your lineup out with? So, uh, I've 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 and I feel like you're going to take a flyer here, and it's going to be somewhere out of left field. And if it's the guy that I want to fill in that's not on my list, I'm going to be a little bit irritated. Okay, I'm going to throw him in on mine, <laughs> and I don't know. It's definitely left field. We haven't discussed him yet, and okay. I'm going to throw him at number seven. Gotcha. And he's coming off, and it's almost a little tribute to the to the podcast here. I'm going Bobby Plump. <laughs> is that who you had? It is not who I had. Uh, so I, I'm throwing – I didn't have him on my list. I had him honorable mention. And I'm throwing Bobby Plump because if the game's on the line, if it comes down to a yeah. last-second shot between the two of us, I'm checking Plump in the game. He may not have had a lot of minutes, but I know he's going to make it. So I'm throwing, I'm throwing Bobby Plump here. So um, for those I who gotcha. don't know – for those who don't know, Bobby Plump uh, played for Milan High School and won the 1954 state championship, actually beating Oscar Robertson's team in a semi-state game. Um, in 54, In yeah. 54. Um, they based the movie Hoosiers, um, going with our theme here, uh, off of that team. And the Jimmy Chitwood character um, is who they based Bobby Plump off of with the, the game-winning shot in the state championship. So um, I'm taking Bob, uh, Bobby Plump, a little bit of a nice. tribute pick there, as my seventh guy around. Went on to start Butler yeah, also. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, my seventh guy is not going to be somebody on my list. It's going to be one of the honorable mentions and really basing off this, the success they had as a junior and a senior. Uh, and the fact I also don't have a backup big, I'm going to go Cody Zeller. Oh, that's a good one. That's a good one to grab there. Yeah. I I was thinking if I have McGinnis and Robinson, I can check those guys out. I was weighing Alan Henderson. Yeah. On that spot also. I don't like the fact that Alan Henderson really didn't get a whole lot of attention here, but like we said, you know, we can 
certainly look at the list of all-time scores. We can look at a, a plethora of databases here and spend an entire podcast on each one of these guys. Yeah, so, I think I think we could have a table of people here and do a draft, and there's nobody that's got a bad yeah. team. I mean, the the just looking at the all-time scoring list, and this is a top 50 guys who have scored over 2,000 yeah. points. Um, and there are some of the guys yeah. that we drafted that aren't even on this. Yeah, our, the Indiana top 50 scorers list starts at almost 2,100 points. Yeah, so. yeah. Um, it is a pretty deep list there, um, and I think there isn't a there isn't a um, there isn't a bad choice there. I love as you scroll down. Just making a side note here that Rick Mount's brother is still in the top there <laughs> at thirty six. When you have Rick and Rich Mount both scoring two thousand points, yeah, that's how about a, that? That's a lot of that's you're replacing a lot of nets in the driveway. Yeah. if you're going up here, um, yeah, I think it's something we just put the chain net up. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, so looking at our lineups here. Uh, to review one more time, I've got Mike Conley Jr. starting at the point guard. I've got Rick Mount at the two, Larry Bird as my small forward. I'm going big on the uh, front court here with George McGinnis at my four and Glenn Robinson five. Coming off the bench, I've got Romeo Langford and uh, my tribute pick and Bobby Plump. Yeah, and I went uh, Damon Bailey at the point guard, Oscar at the two guard, Jay Edwards in at the three, Deshaun Thomas to space the floor at the power forward position. Greg Oden to man the to man the middle there at the center spot, and then Eric Gordon and Cody Zeller respectively coming off the bench. Uh, I don't think those are. Um, I don't think there's a bad pick in the in the lot there. I think they'd be pretty competitive. I think it, I think it'd be a pretty interesting game. Uh, I'd like to see how that one chalked up. Uh, we'd like to know what you think about it. Uh, we're gonna be posting those on our social media pages. Um, if you, uh, we'd love for you to check us out on Twitter at picketfence underscore pod. Um, and on Instagram at the Picket Fence Podcast, uh, and don't forget uh, we will be um, putting some things soon on our YouTube channel, the Picket Fence Podcast on YouTube. Don't forget to like and subscribe. Um, that's what we think. That's our top ten. We'd love to know yours. We'd love to know what you think about our um, absolutely. I love to know what we think about our lineup. Uh, share that. Comment on us. Uh, critique anything you'd like, uh, or, or let us know what you think. Who comes out the victor uh, from our two teams? Um, that's all for us here at the uh, Picket Fence Podcast. Um, and to end it. Uh, like we always will. Don't get, Don't caught, get caught watching, watching the paint, paint dry. dry.